0: Hello and welcome to episode 165 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we thank you for taking a break from the onslaught of new things Nintendo has given you in the last 48 hours. I mean, you could be playing Zelda's new DLC right now. Or Splatoon 2's Clan Blit- Blitz. Or the Arms Party Crash. Or the Versus Modemar and Rabbids. Or any number of other things. And yet, for two hours you decide to come listen to us, where we're going to not tell you about any of those things except the Zelda DLC, just by coincidence. But yeah, it's been it's been a weirdly busy forty eight eight hours from Nintendo like from the Game Awards through now it's, they've they've pumped out a lot of stuff in a the time they usually put out nothing so it's, it's kind of interesting but anyway in this episode of the show we're actually talking about Animal Crossing Pocket Camp hence the name Is That Campsite in Your Pocket which is also one of the laziest names we've done in quite a while and I sincerely apologize but we have impressions of that we also have impressions of the Switch versions of Doom and Rive Ultimate Edition and Worms WMD plus Kind of to what I was saying before about Nintendo, if you you thought that'd be a slow period of time right now as we go into the holidays, it's really not, because not the Game Awards, there's also Bayonetta news, Mega Man news, indie game news, so we're going to run through all that. So anything I just said in that long list that you may be interested in learning specifically about, Ramtown.com for that, as anyone who listens knows, just go to the blog post. Um, Otherwise, I think the only proper way really to start is to go to the biggest gaming event, not just since our last episode, but probably in the last few months, which is... The game awards the 2017 game awards so we have impressions from someone who was live in microsoft theater me and from someone who watched it like the proper way with good cinematography and everything which is you angel on the live stream so we obviously saw basically the same event but we haven't really caught up much since the respective viewings we had so i'm curious what what did you what did you think of the show overall
1: um I really like the direction it's heading in. I love that they incorporated some music at the end, right before the Game of the Year award. I thought that was really cool. Just yeah. just makes me want to... That orchestra was is great. A, ...a video game concert just that much more. Right. I mean, we've had the Zelda ones, and they have those game live ones, video game video live. Game live.
0: Although, those are kind of... They're not as much as... Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Away. No, yeah, yeah. That's so, yeah. yeah. We just... I don't
1: know. Or at least the Mario one. But mm-hmm, But mm-hmm. back to the show. I mean, the show was great. It's definitely getting better than every year. Yeah. I mean, than every previous year, but... Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it was, I mean,
0: hands down, I agree that it was the best It, it didn't feel
1: like there was as much fluff as before. And also, I mean, if I had to point out any downsides, I guess Conan? <sighs> like, just his appearance there?
0: So, uh, I, don't yeah, know. I, I mean, I'm a big Conan fanboy. It
1: just felt lazy.
0: Well, here's the thing. I think it was kind of... Just it felt, felt
1: like, His jokes just fell flat with me, I guess. That's pretty much it. It felt personally. like the
0: old... Game Awards a little So so let me explain what I mean Is the, the Game Awards, like I agree it was the best one yet But the Game Awards have gone through so many iterations VGAs, VGX This, the Game Awards And during the spike years And it was the VGAs and VGX I feel like they were trying very hard And even the first couple of years of the Game Awards They are trying very hard to like Be this award They didn't really know who their audience was They were trying to be like super mainstream Like they weren't caring to gamers Because they didn't think there were enough gamers that would care So they were going like kind of broad with it and as a result, like the humor, I feel like kind of took a hit. Like the show lacked confidence in its audience, so instead of being jokes by gamers for gamers about games, it was jokes at the expense of gamers that were kind of like, "Hey, guys, guys, you guys aren't the stereotype anymore. It's funny, right?" Which is fine, but it's there's only a finite amount of that before it gets cringy. And I feel like as much as I do love Conan, his Game of the Year bit when he was just kind of ridiculing the five games at a very surface level kind of fits the old mo the old mold of the Game Awards versus like the current humor. Like I thought, most of the show had really good humor. Conan aside, I mean, his shtick was fine, in my opinion. It's his coolest gamer bit condensed down to two minutes. But like the humor in general, like Zachary Levi doing that whole bit about the uh, like he can't open the envelope without a microtransaction, that got a big laugh from the crowd in the theater, and that was not on the tra- that was not on the uh, teleprompter. He improv down the spot, but like it worked because gamers get it. It's like an issue gamers face, and they get. It. Or like the uh, that video that Bethesda did with the pre tape of the like save single player gamers because they're, they're an endangered species now. That was something that, you know, if they put on Spike, half the audience would be like, what? But gamers get it, and it's relevant to gamers' current concerns about everything going multiplayer uh, only and going to these big, like, evolving worlds and all that. So the humor, I thought, was really on, actually kind of on point this year, minus the Conan bit, as much as I love Conan. But but yeah, that, I guess, to me, at least, kind of buys the whole show. Like, the show felt very confident in itself. It knew who it was for, it knew who it was made by, knew what they were trying like, it wasn't trying to like, appeal to people that it, who knows if they'll tune in, it was literally like for gamers, by gamers, about games which was nice I mean, you, I guess you like you saw it with the music too, like in past years you know, they had to bring in some sort of loosely associated music act to kind of be like, oh this will draw people in, like, you know, last year was Rage and and, uh, and uh, Run the Jewels, both of which Run the Jewels has a "Song in Ford's, uh, Ray Tremond played the uh, Black Beetle in an arcade, quote unquote. So they kind of tried to do it, but this year, to your point about the orchestra, the only act they had that wasn't the orchestra was Phoenix, who literally had a song with chip tune and game sound effects in it anyway. So it kind of relates, but then the orchestra just filled out the rest and it was perfect. Yeah, not...
1: this year just had only the orchestra. I, I kind of, and... I,
0: I thought, Phoenix, like I like Phoenix. So I don't mind that they were there, but yeah, it was a little, it felt a little out. It ironically felt more out of place now that the show was more comfortable in its own skin. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. But I did think the orchestra great. My favorite moment of the night, hands down, was when they did Jump Up Superstar with uh, Kate oh, – what's her name? Kate Hudgens? Huggins. Higgins. Higgins. Yeah, of uh, the original singer, the voice actress of Pauline. And like, I expect her to come out, so that's kind of cool. And I have no idea if they will ever perform it live like that again with her. So it was very cool, like at least the one time. Maybe more in the future But yeah I, had the, I tweeted this But I had the biggest Goofiest grin on my face During that entire performance I was like it was like, Oh my god is... Now I know what Disney nerds feel like When there's like A special Disney And his moment. default
1: face Is a goofy grin So,
0: so like imagine that Like yeah. Joker size Or something Yeah Yeah It was a big goofy grin um, But yeah Like I just feel like This year they did a, They did a good job Like Perhaps the, um, the Perhaps the biggest sign That this award show Finally is coming to its own Is when people got like Quote unquote Political during it All the politics were about actual game industry issues. Like most of War, you know, you go to the Grammys, you go to the Emmys, and it's like, oh, blah, 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 I don't like the president, or blah, 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 blah. Like this is this injustice in this, in wherever, you know, this hour next thing. But here it was like, you know, the the Zach Levi microtransaction thing, like I said a moment ago, or like the guy from Epic Games, like rallying for crossplay and being, and basically throwing Sony under the bus on stage, or uh, perhaps most memorably, the director of A Way Out, Joseph Fair, going crazy long off-script rant into loot boxes and dissing his own games publisher, EA. Like, that's the type of stuff that a few years ago, I feel like, wouldn't have happened at a Game Award, because it wasn't, like, an established thing within its world where people were, you know, for gamers, by gamers, that are comfortable, like, appealing to gamers, but now, more so than ever, is, like, it, it... They just went all in. And it's actually, you know, the the Joseph Fair thing's kind of it was something. I mean, it was certainly something. For those who didn't watch the Game Awards, this was probably the most talked about thing that came out of it in terms of like moments on stage. And it was, um, he was very, shall we say, passionate about his game and about the game industry. And, um, Joseph Fair was getting a chance to chat about Jeff Keighley about it. And instead of sticking to his talking points and being like, this game has this, that, and the next thing. And, like, here's a cool thing about Way Out, which isn't kind of Nintendo, but cool in general. You get two copies of the game because it's co-op only so literally if you buy one game at regular price they will give you a game to give to a friend so you can play like that's something he was supposed to highlight during his spiel but instead he um kind of went on stage and yelled about ea and said the oscars suck and well he used different words than that and just sort of tore into things and kept and jeff Cooley kept trying desperately again back on talking points they kept spiraling further away and it was incredibly entertaining I felt kind of bad for the team. Like I was, Poor Jeff. yeah, I was saying three rows from the production from that little side stage, and all the production people behind the camera were like freaking out. Like they're like, you know, they're like looking at their phones, or, like looking at each other, like what we do, what we do. Like I think his PR handler is there too, and they just kind of shrugged. It was, it was something. But I think Jeff did handle it well to his credit. Like he's really good at. There are a lot of developers that kind of got lost in their thoughts, and he was able to bring him back on. But. But maybe even EA doesn't even mind. I mean, what he essentially did was he threw them under the bus about loot crates and that whole Battlefield, uh, Battlefront controversy, and then immediately turned around and said, but they're great publishers, and they're great for for game makers, and da 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 It's so like if you had to, as a company, address something head-on, a bad PR situation, and then spin it into something good, having a dude literally be like, you guys suck for this, but you guys are awesome for that, is probably the best way, because he sort of shifted the narrative a little, potentially. So, I don't know. I will say, it was definitely like the most, um, Kanye moment of the Game Award. Like, you know you're a legit Game Award or a legit award show when you have a Kanye moment. Especially when it's someone who they knew was gonna do something like this, and then sure enough he did. Like, EA, about a week ago, some marketing materials for them leaked. And the big story at the time, it was for a way out in Fe. Fe, 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 Fe. fe. Effie, uh, which is coming to Switch, and at the time the big thing was, oh, these leaked materials show a Nintendo Direct is coming in January. So like, oh, cool, we're getting a Nintendo Direct in January. But buried at the bottom, which only now is more significant, is the falling senses. Joseph has a personality as a plus. His passion is great, but need to watch out for controversy. And sure enough, as the prophecy foretold, they then had their controversy, like you know, a week, two weeks later. So yeah, he is, he was definitely the Kanye moment. But yeah, I feel like it makes like kind of a more legit award show as a result, which is actually something that kind of bothers me uh, with people's feedback of the show online that I was reading, oh. is everyone is of course tied to their own opinion, that's fine, but I saw a lot of people like continuing saying things like, oh, I don't know if these sh- this award show, if the Game Awards is legitimate, because they focus so much on new reveals, over awards, and they have product placement, and they have sponsorships, but, but I don't know. like When you see Eiji Onuma get that excited about winning Game of the Year for Zelda or the voice actress from hellblade literally shaking and like almost in tears when she won the award or even when you have justin trudeau the prime minister of canada tweeting congratulations to cuphead for winning like it feels to me that means the rewards actually are legit like ultimately it's the people nominated and those who win who will find it impactful and if they do guess what your award shows now legit like that's all it takes you can say, you know, you go here and there about, or this and that about uh, commercialism in the awards, and I agree there's something to be said for that, but I thought, you know, even with Jumanji and all that, but I thought for the most part, like, if the people value the awards, if Carol Shaw gets up there and is generally, you know, genuinely, like, moved that she got an Icon Award for her single-handed coded, single-handedly coded game. That's pretty cool. Yeah, more power to her then, right? Like, more power I, to I, the I think like those
1: little history lessons, like the one they had a few years ago for Sierra, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, both segments are great.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the thing is, you need money to power those, and that's why I think all the sponsorship stuff comes in. But I know that you, in general, have felt for a while because we talked about this before the awards that like it might not be gamey enough. For like, but like it's kind of inward facing. Like what 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 would your ideal game award be? Like what would you take out from what we saw? Because there is some stuff that's my ideal felt award like, show or your ideal like game video game award show.
1: I have no idea. That's that's a tough question because it's one of those things where you know what you don't want.
0: So what don't you want? Besides I mean, mean, Conan, which I know you don't want.
1: Maybe just Conan. Just get rid of Conan. Um, the most um, what does that word? Um, most influential gamer or that most.
0: Luckily, they put down the pre-show. This trending, trending gamer.
1: Yeah, trending gamer like that seemed kind of a weird throwaway award. Yeah, I, don't
0: know. I, I agree, especially because it's a popularity contest. I mean, a lot of awards shows are. You can argue uh, Teen Choice Awards Yeah, but I mean, our American Music Awards are. But, but uh, I mean, that I, I, in particular. I mean, like,
1: what would the equivalent of that be for, like, the author, like, uh, most active actor or something? Fa- favorite actor, I guess. Yeah, just favorite <laughs> yeah. actor. Not even best actor. It's just a, favorite. I think they know. But, but, there, but there's no, no real way to, um, I guess, properly award, like, a specific gamer unless they're part of a team or a tournament or something because they get the, right. those awards.
0: But that's also. But why necessarily would no, you? No, I know. But I know
1: that. <laughs> Well, gaming is just in a very very unique situation because it's not like I mean we have sporting events and they have their own award ceremonies usually held within mm-hmm. just that but then we also have our films and that have their own awards but this is like the only genre where we have it's both passive and active and competitive and they're trying to combine it all into one like it might just be too much for them to try to cover maybe they should while I do Make like just about games. while I do like um best sports esports team I feel like I don't know, I almost want to say like that should get its own place in time to get awarded.
0: I don't know. Well, I think as but it's the all leads put... come into their own, it will. Like, you know, Overwatch yeah. League just launched. This oh, yeah, past yeah, week. But, but
1: I mean, but I feel it's also important to put in there so that you can get people into esports. Yeah, just more. like yeah. know that it's a thing. Cause I mean, it's still not the most, I mean, unless you're already in the scene, most people probably wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, so, I'm so focus also, more on. on
0: games versus gamers i mean what what's your take on like because i remember before you so you were just to fill people in on the backstory of our lives here you were every time they announced a presenter you text me with like yay this one's good or no this one's not like what was your criteria in your head for that like because i mean there is something to be said that some people make more sense than others like in past years they've had random celebrities this year i thought mostly they did a great job of finding people that do have direct connections to games i mean zach levi runs uh the Nerd HQ, which has been a huge thing that game companies have been involved with for a while. You know, Felicia Day has a lot of stuff going on. More tabletop game stuff, but stuff. Alicia uh Aisha Tyler, obviously, Ubisoft's press conference for like five years in a row. So most of them tied in, but there were some that didn't, like the whole Jumanji segment. Although they tried. In the Jumanji segment, they kept being like trying to, oh yeah, well I was in Spy Hunter. Yeah, well I, I did Brule Legend. Yeah, well I am standing next to the two of you. Like, they tried, but... Yeah, was there anyone that would, do you feel like it should be more industry people and less star power or?
1: I don't know. I, I've industry people, I would have to say. Cause I
0: mean, there were some this year. They didn't, that presented like actual industry people. And I thought they mostly did well. Like the only oh, yeah, I mean, people were people all... whose teleprompters froze on them. Oh, which yeah. No one on the stream. Could no, see, it's
1: definitely but... better than last time for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, if it, it always seems like it's getting a little more and more industry or at least closer to it every year, mm-hmm. but. I don't know. I couldn't tell you what I would want it. What I would want fixed exactly. It's right. it's it's, almost it's like, like when you see it, you know. Yeah, it's like when. It's like, what do I want in my ideal Smash Bros. game? Like, I have no idea. Like, just
0: you need them to thing. show you what you want. Yeah, yeah. I I will say. Um, I think there's room for like like I don't mind the celebrities because from my perspective, they I mean, they need... also could have
1: done without Zachary Levi. I just don't like him. But
0: well, that's, that's a personal issue yeah. <laughs> That's a you problem, not a them problem
1: I mean, he hosts subpar parties at Comic Con Subpar? Yeah Do
0: you remember the last one? No, you don't because of how much you drank It's not subpar <laughs>
1: It's pretty subpar It's it's whatever It was but, just free beer and, pe- and pretzels Not that great
0: Well, actually, Sci-Fi foot the bill on that So that wasn't really his doing But same difference
1: yeah. Um, Anyway
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say though that It seemed like a, well, a lot of people were latching on to like, or, Well, first I think there's room yeah. for some, like, I don't mind, Why Star says, I don't mind the celebrities for the most part if they somehow relate. Like, Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro made total sense because he's involved with Death Stranding, you know. Um.
1: So, when do they ever plan on showing us, like, what the game looks like? I don't like? know! You know, <laughs> like, like, it, I it, watched it, it, it and it, I was like, well, oh, that's cool. It almost felt like no different than, like, their last trailer. It's just like, oh, okay, at this point, it feels like he's making a movie rather than a game.
0: Yeah, I, 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 well, so I watched I'm
1: almost it. afraid to see actual gameplay because I feel like I'm going to be, be so disappointed because I'm on, like, because I don't know what to expect I mean is this a horror game I have no idea i yeah I it's don't gonna be a turn-based like card strategy game like Metal Gear acid on PSP
0: watch it be something like that no i I thought the trailer was really cool that it was it was so captivating in the theater you could hear a pin drop like everyone was so into it for those six seven minutes because it's just so like different and somebody there's a baby inside his stomach and then like it looks kind of like alien and it has like a sci-fi element to it and it's really cool in that regard and then like after it ended and everyone's clapping i i turned to the guy next to me we're sitting there and i was like so do we know anything more than we did before we saw that and he's like nope <laughs> so i have no i've no idea what it's going to be but it's certainly getting the hype and i mean obviously uh they're going to get as much attention as they want to the get worse cuz jeff Keeley's good friends with Kideo Kojima. so that's probably partly why they have that wiggle room but yeah i i don't know it's hard to say and i think i think stuff like that is better in the grand scheme of things. Like, even if it's confusing and seven minutes long, stuff like that is better than, like, the Jumanji moment. Which I know I keep harping on, but that one just, like... I wonder if it felt out of place because they don't have traditional commercials? Or if it felt out of place because it was a movie and a Game Awards show? Or, like, like, what would have happened? Like, hypothetically, like, is the problem the movie itself? Let's say two years from now. I would
1: say it's the movie itself. I mean, I'm sure it's not just me, but whenever I hear... Jumanji, I don't think video games. I know, the I think game board about, game. Yeah. I, I think board game and I think... Actually, not even board game. Honestly, first I just think jungle and wild animals. Right, yeah, before, that's true Before I too. even think board game, yeah. I feel like the game could be any kind of device so, or whatever. So hypothetically... And like, I mean, yeah. I, I thought it would have been more relevant for them to show Rampage, because at least that is like Directly game-related. Even, even if the movie did throw that out the window, sort of.
0: It's still kind of there. It's like a weird... Buddy, animal, human, buddy movie, kind of. Yeah. But I don't know if you
1: remember, but in the game, um, all the monsters were just people.
0: Oh, that's right. I did forget that. that just, and then when you die, they turn. They back, just go like all
1: like Hulk. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then so they had to, It's yeah. another
1: just random wild animal. Really, the rock should be one of the monsters. Yeah I, I, yeah, I
0: thought
1: it was gonna be like oh, it was like some science experiment, and like they pretty
0: much turn into a giant monster. But speaking of weird movie choices, now it's just another giant monster movie. Spe- Speaking of weird movie choices, what is your take on Ryan Reynolds' as Pikachu and Detective Pikachu? I mean, we're talking about movies anyway, so we might as well put it here. But, like, good, bad? I feel like Hugh Jackman, back when it was rumored, would have been the better choice, personally. I don't know why. Like, I'm going to hear his Deadpool when I see Pikachu, but... I don't
1: know. He has a... I feel like he has a generic of... a generic enough voice that would be fine, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't, but... really, I don't really mind his voice. I don't even... I don't think I remember what Deadpool sounds like. Because his voice is just very, it's just a it's, regular. It's just a
0: regular white dude voice, yep. <laughs> yeah, he
1: doesn't really have a, a voice that stands out. I mean, not to go back
0: on our Kevin, Harp, Kevin Hart as Toad. No, we need to bring this but... up every episode so it happens. We must go back to Kevin Hart as Toad. For those who don't know, we have a theory that Kevin Hart's going to play Toad in the Mario anime movie that's rumored. And, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I mean, yeah, because I mean, he has a distinct voice. I mean, a lot of that celebrities, knows. like, do you, you just hear them read, like, a like a dead a sentence deadpan yeah. you almost could tell exactly who they are yeah I feel like Ryan Reynolds has like a voice that like 20 other people have yeah that's true industry. yeah
0: yeah uh, Kevin Hart's basically the modern day Eddie Murphy and as <laughs> such he would make an excellent toad I'm just saying <laughs> but um, yeah like see if something like Detective Pikachu showed up at the Game Awards I feel like a lot of the people that were upset about Jumanji being there upset being a strong word but you know what I mean they'd probably be like, oh, okay. Because especially if Nintendo had like the companion game, like obviously we're not getting the 3DS one in two years when the movie comes out. But if they made like a Switch Detective Pikachu game and they're like, here's the game, here's the movie, here's a world premiere of something involving it. Now, I we are going to be like, that makes sense. We're going
1: to get a game based on that movie that... So
0: it's gonna be like more... It's gonna be Detective Pikachu, the movie, the, the game, the movie, the game. The game, the, the movie, the game, the movie. Yeah, it's like the Wretched
1: and Clank game that was <laughs> yeah. based
0: on the movie that was based on the game. Right. Which that was, was based... not as good, if I remember yeah. it correctly, as the real games. But hopefully Nintendo doesn't let that happen. But yeah. but, yeah, I don't know, like, I guess the point of bringing up Jumanji and possibly Detective Pikachu and all that is just kind of, from my perspective, this whole thing about, like, the commercialism of the game awards, like, they have to walk a fine line between advertising that works and advertising that doesn't work and ultimately for the people that are saying like oh it's not legit because they have these ads or these weird not quite gamery things like McDonald's or whatever or eBay doesn't every award show have that's the thing of- ultimately they have to recoup the cost and every award show does it they just have proper commercial breaks so either you have a proper commercial break or you just accept that these things are going to be mixed into the show because these things and the money they're paying to be there are what makes the show possible in any shape or form. So you just got to suck it up. Like, people are saying, like, oh, it's, you know, you can't just throw in Jumanji after giving an industry award. It's like, yes, you can, because that's no different than doing an immemorium thing to Black and then cutting to a commercial for Burger King. Like, it's really no different. So people are freaking out about that. I think they're strong. And, I mean, like, literally everything about the Game Awards is sponsored, because that's how they make the money. It's an independent thing. It's not part of a bigger company. You know, wasn't
1: Verizon a big sponsor? Uh,
0: Not this year. But they had eBay doing essentially infomercials in between parts of the show where it's like, Hey, right now you can get this monitor for two thirds of this pre or, you know, like two thirds off. But even the after party, something that you would be like, Oh, that wouldn't be sponsored. Nope. That too was sponsored. So the after party, which, um, I managed to wiggle myself and two people into without being on the list, which is a humble brag that absolutely no one cares about. I realize, uh, that was entirely sponsored by McDonald's, like really? everything. So you walk in. And they're serving burgers and fries and McCafe on one side from Trucks. Then they have open bar on the other side with beer and wine. And then Ramley at like 1030, like an hour and a half into the after party, they trot out Charlie XCX who performs like five of her biggest hits. And then she leaves and the party continues. It's just like none of that would have happened, be it eating cheeseburgers or seeing Charlie XCX without McDonald's filling the bill. Like this is why I mean like this entire award show is sponsored because it's independent. Like last year, they didn't have an after party that was more public facing, like they did this year. So, well, public, public facing is st- uh, strongly worded. It wasn't public, but it's certainly more present than last year. Though, I'll put it that way. Um, so yeah, it goes to show that like you need sponsors of any sort to be able to do to be able to do like any level of stuff with this award show. So just you know, suck it up, people. So I guess what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean,
1: those th- those tickets look nice. Wait, the
0: award show tickets? Yeah. Fun fact: mine was a printout. Uh, those were oh. all given out to PSX people and proper invitees. Anyone who bought it online like I did, you just get it printed. Well, those tickets that those people got were nice. Yeah, well, you know what? My wristband super to the wrist after party. Foil looked
1: super, super fancy.
0: My, my, my after party wristband says so Game Awards on it stitched in, in strings, so I'm gonna pretend that's equally nice, cause it's, it's really all I have. It's my only swag from the, from the show, so I'm just gonna, that and videos of like, jump up superstar from my seat. But, uh, but the counter argument to people who are saying like the, Advertising maybe is too strong, is I guess they can try and get more game companies possibly to jump in. I mean, they were all there, but maybe even more. So, like, I thought, I thought what Nintendo did this year was very really smart. They were running ads throughout the night, uh, for Switch third party games that currently can be picked up and appeal to core gamers. You know, stuff like Rocket League and Xenoblade and Skyrim. Um, actually, Skyrim was kind of funny because, uh, it got applause in the theater when the ad aired. Cause they had had, so the main stage has one screen, then they had two side screens showing the live stream. Of what you were watching in front of you, so switch uh, the Switch version of Skyrim aired, and everyone started clapping. And it's like, wait they they know it's a com- it wasn't even the first commercial. It was in a block of commercials, so it's not getting like was confused. I guess people just really like Skyrim and or Switch. I don't know, but I thought that's kind of funny. But anyway, so maybe they could do more like that, where you know, in the case of Nintendo, they're going right after the core gamer audiences. Like, here's games you may like on a system you may want, and they're all available right now if they do something like that, maybe maybe if more companies do that, that's the way to go, Who, who's to say but anyway, beyond just ads beyond the show itself, of course, were the reveals, which power a lot of the show, and uh, presumably help foot the bill along with ads, and in a bit of a conversation transition here to the games themselves, I really like this year's reveals, like Death Stranding was interesting to watch, but in, in general, I thought it was a really strong year, or any, any of that really caught your eye, besides obviously Death Stranding's confusion, but anything else jump out at you the mm, other was interesting. Well, yeah, we'll um, get to that in a sec, but non Nintendo maybe because we're definitely diving into the Nintendo ones. Band of Three was interesting. Okay, that's also Nintendo. <laughs> but... I don't know, nothing else, I guess. Oh, really? I thought like because for me, I don't know, like I thought, I thought the um, the new game in the Valley of the Gods, I think it's called, the new game from the Firewatch people, like graphically looked really cool. I thought Dreams, the Mia Molecule game for PS4, looked really nice. Um, looked like a natural evolution of Little Big Plant, kind of. Like, just taking the idea of you kind of build your world and just really ramping it up. I really like the name of the new game from the Payday guys, GTFO, which is kind of clever in that it's strictly a co-op game for four players. There's no single-player component. So that's kind of interesting to see how that's going to shake out. Soul Calibur Six, if that comes to Switch. Um, I mean, it was rumored before the show that was going to be there, and it was. but And it's running on Unreal Engine 4, I believe, so it could, in theory, come to Switch. And if it does maybe that means Link, I don't know. But like I I thought overall it was a lost a strong year for I mean reveals.
1: there was I mean games that I know people would be excited about, but nothing for me. Like not even Soul Calibur Six. I never really you Never played Soul Caliber? Never really cared for it. Or never I, I never enjoyed the, the gameplay style. I just mm. I just didn't really find it fun. That's fair. Even with Link in it. That's fair.
0: Well, in that case, let's talk about the ones you were interested in—the two you named, Zelda and Xenoblade. Uh, really, for Nintendo fans, like that was it. The, the, the pickings were kind of light this year in general, which i, I actually thought, I honestly thought third parties would have a stronger Switch showing at the show because this is a chance for third parties to show they're on board with the, like the hot new thing, and yet not a nothing. But Nintendo did pick up the slack, as you mentioned. There's Zelda and Bayonetta. So with Zelda, they had the showmanship that one-ups everyone as they always do you know, it's it cool to see Eiji Enuma himself pull, like, the Master Sword out of the stone and hold it up high, and it's kind of a nice callback too, I don't know if you remember uh, back when Twilight Princess was first revealed at E3 2004 way back when, it was just Zelda for GameCube, Miyamoto came out with a Master Sword and did a very similar pose and everything, so I don't know if that was intentional or not but it was a nice callback regardless and what you actually didn't see on the stream is Anuma was really into that pose like, he was really dedicated to hamming it up up there they cut to the trailer, right, on the stream, like, you know, took the camera off him. He continued holding the sword up at full arm's length until the screen that he was standing, in, uh, well, eventually behind came all the way back down. Like, he could, like, he did not move even when he was mostly covered by it. You could still see his feet were planted. Like, he was super into that pose. But, um, yeah, so, of course, that means, um, the DLC is now here. And I think, okay. I think the surprise of it all was it came out day and date with the game awards. Everyone knew it was going to be shown. It had to be shown. It's out by the end of the month, but to have it dropped then and there was kind of neat. And of course, it also includes a freaking motorcycle. So that was kind of a surprise. Yep. yep. Yeah. Have you started it yet? Yeah, I did. What do you think of it? Um, I like it. Really- is it as hard as I've been hearing it is? I had a um, friend who, uh, texted me because he, I mentioned I was at after- the after project. like, please go find the developers and tell them it's too hard. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And of course, they weren't there, but. I didn't think it was hard so far. It's just, you just have to be more
1: patient. Cause all the, yeah, w- when you start the, yeah, I guess the DLC, mm-hmm. you get the, I'll just call it the sword of the champions. It's that forked sword. Oh, it's the, thing. Uh, no, it has a special name. No, okay. I know, it, I know. I just, I just don't know it. So I'm just going to. I it that. had
0: it written down in my notes. I'm going to find it for you while you talk.
1: Well, that fork, the giant tuning fork, <laughs> that thing, um, kills enemies in one hit.
0: Yes. But doesn't, isn't there like but, a trade-off?
1: Yeah, but it also reduces your health to the minimum amount of health. So like a quarter of a heart. And you can't heal yourself, you can't change weapons, you can't... Like pretty much it's you die in one hit, but everything else dies in one hit. One hit
0: obliterator is what it's called.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when you start you have to go to four temples, but to access those temples, you have to kill the camps of enemies that are around those temples. So it's just a matter of just taking it slow, trying to take them off one by one. Right. But I mean if you go rushing under you're definitely gonna die a tons of times. And
0: those temples slowly as you beat them if I'm not mistaken, that's what teaches you the backstory of the champions and that's the whole mm, sort platform, of right? I mean the ones that
1: beat him so far didn't really oh, they don't? tell me much. Because I know over
0: the course of It's like
1: I mean it was pretty much just like a shrine, just like a regular shrine, yeah. just yeah. slightly longer. And the first one I did didn't really I mean they just had a bunch of guardians in there that you could just kill in on one hit. Mm-hmm. 'Cause even though you can only use it twice back to back if you wait like four or five seconds it recharges, so it's basically infinite kill one hit.
0: hmm
1: So it's really fun. It's really fun to use it, but I just wouldn't call it hard.
0: Right, okay. Maybe he wasn't using it and that's why he was struggling. Well well you have to use it. If he's listening, I guess we're calling him out for being bad at games, but Well, uh... I mean I don't
1: know. Maybe he just starts <laughs> yeah. to go faster. Yeah, from my understanding,
0: maybe it's not the temple but I know one way or another, um, there are I mean, I, I definitely... plot points that you learn about the champions in more detail. Yeah. So, and also the motorcycle, of course, which officially is called the Master Cycle Zero. And actually, it looks pretty cool. Like, I like conceptually. It's kind of neat. You get to basically ride anywhere you want across the train. It could go up hills and everything. But what's a little perplexing to me about it is what you're supposed to use it for. Like, you only get it after you beat the new DLC, meaning essentially once you beat the full game, right? and you're then free to use it, use it to explore hyrule but for what like if it's for korok seeds or hidden shrines you kind of go slow and meticulous and the motorcycle is the opposite of slow and meticulous it's about fast and fun so unless you're just joyriding, or maybe you're using the motorcycle to go to a place on your map that your previous uh step history shows you haven't really explored but at that point why don't you just warp there i don't know like it's really cool and it's like a cool zany thing, and I love when Nintendo does cool zany things. I'm just not sure what I'm supposed to do with this specific cool zany thing. That's all. But I really like the like design wise. It's really cool. I mean, it looks fun to play. It's it just to fall in line
1: with the other games, where like in like in Mario 64, for example. Sure. If you 100 percent Mario 64, you get the wing cap at the top of Peach's Castle. Mm. What can you mm-hmm. do with it? You could fly around, but you can't really. Right. It you literally mean, can't go anywhere. Doesn't really have a purpose. It's a tiny courtyard. It's just. to Fly for Just for fun. To have fun. I, mean, I think in Galaxy, when you beat the game 100, percent you get to use the flying, the flying cap, I guess, or the star that you fly around. Like, not even like the wing cap. You can fly, in the truest sense of the word. Uh-huh. But-
0: again to nowhere
1: yeah but there's like nothing you can
0: unlock so I guess it's, it's just a fun. reward for getting that far it's just a toy yeah I mean it does look fun it's and, literally just a toy and like we we really should have seen it coming honestly I mean back at GAC Nintendo showed concept art of a motorcycle for Link, Anuma and the director of Breath of the Wild whose name is escaping me at the moment they both are motorcycle riders and that's kind of where the inspiration came from and more of the point Having it in the game means they have now retroactively made Mario Kart eight and Link Ryan Motorcycle there officially canon. So there you go. So it kinda of works on multiple levels. But yeah, it was when I saw I was like, Oh, that's really awesome. Like, but why? And then I guess now I'm coming around to does it matter? No. So so that's cool. And besides just the motorcycle, there's also new armor. There's obviously the new armor for your horse, but there's also new you uh horse armor. Horse armor, literally. Uh it's come full circle from being something people hate and don't want to something they now do. But also they have um you know, uh the like you could dress up as a Hylian guard, you can have um stuff from Twilight Princess and Link Between Worlds and like all these different references. I think there's seven new treasure chests of stuff to find. So it seems like all in all a pretty hefty update. And from Nintendo's perspective, they probably couldn't have asked for a better marketing scheme than to have it release literally at the same time that Zelda wins Game of the Year. So so that was the... uh if as, as DLC was like the expected thing from the Game Awards, Nintendo also needed to have a bit of a surprise. And yeah, they delivered on that front too with, as you mentioned before, Bayonetta. Literally, out of nowhere, we got not just a Bayonetta, but three Bayonettas. Reggie went up and first revealed Bayonetta 1 and 2 are being ported to Switch on February 16th of next year. And Bayonetta 3 is actually in development at Platinum Games as a Switch exclusive, which is a good example of catering to your audience right there. Like... This kind of goes back to the earlier point about the Game Awards being really self-aware and comfortable with who they're specifically caring to these days. And Bayonetta is definitely a core gamer's game. It's one of the ones that owners of non-Nintendo systems seem to be pretty invested in. So to essentially go on non-Nintendo turf like the Game Awards and say, Yo, here's Bayonetta. If you want it, you gotta buy a Switch. It's the only place you gotta play it. It's a pretty savvy move on Nintendo's part, I think. Um, Perhaps a little less savvy... At least to me is how Nintendo of America is choosing to release the ports of Bayonetta 1 and 2.
1: Yeah, no infinite climax.
0: You mean non-stop climax. Whatever. Yeah, talk, what an awkward name for a special edition. I know the game's full of that sort of stuff, but like what an awkward name to have on a store shelf, the non-stop climax edition of Bayonetta. But yeah, so in Japan and Europe, uh, in Europe it's just called the special edition by the way, cause yeah. But in Japan and Europe, what's happening is you can get a special edition of the game that comes with 22 art cards, a bunch of stickers, and copies of Bayonetta 1 and 2. If you're in Europe, you get Physical 2, Digital 1. If you're in Japan, you get Physical 1 and 2. Either way, you get a steelbook for both. So either there's one cart in them or two. But what's weird is in America, we don't get a special edition. We don't get any form of physical Bayonetta 1. How it works is you can can go buy Bayonetta 2 for a standard $60, and then they'll give you a free eShop download of Bayonetta 1, Or, if you choose to buy on the eShop, you can get Bayonetta 2 digitally for $50, you can then get Bayonetta 1 for $10, but if you instead just want to buy Bayonetta 1 for some weird reason, it's $30. So it's a little convoluted, it's a little... I don't know, I feel like... Nintendo made this very complicated for no real reason, and to not give us the steel buck and to make it hard. Because fizz- they just
1: done what um, Resident Evil did, and just make them both 30 bucks. And yeah,
0: you would think. I think part of because Bayonetta 2 is actually getting updates and improvements, and is like a more original game, while Bayonetta 1 is a port of a port. Because remember, on Wii U, it was a port from whatever system is originally on before that. Everything. Everything. <laughs> and then now they're porting the port. But Bayonetta 2, meanwhile, is getting new stuff. Like, it's going to have a co op tag climax mode work in local play for once instead of just online. It's going to have video capturing via the Switch's capture button, which is apparently something that's a feature now, opposed to just what should be standard. And it's going to have Amiibo support now that there's Bayonetta Amiibo. So, all that wasn't there before. So, they can get away with saying it's an enhanced port and, you know, do a normal price on Bayonetta 2, and then Bayonetta launches along for the ride. But as someone that likes physical games, as everyone knows on, that listens, uh, I'm a little bummed that literally the only place a physical Bayonetta 1 cartridge exists is in Japan. On the flip side, as someone that prizes and not a double dip, because I already own them on Wii U, it's not enough change in my opinion, then whatever. But I think, um, I don't know, I think on Switch it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, the series has kind of become this like feather in Nintendo's cap as an example of how diverse their game library can be, even if the game doesn't always sell all that great and then well, maybe now that's both chance to get Yeah, them that's themselves. what i gonna say is now they have a demographic that is older. Like it's no it's a known fact that Switch own, owners currently are older, like twenty something, late teens onward. And it caters to an audience that's gonna exist for games like No More Heroes, Travis Strikes Again, and things like Resident Evil and L.A. Noir and like and all this Doom. stuff, and Doom, of course. Um so it's it's not just a way to demonstrate to people that Switch offers more variety, but it's a way to give a game to people who already bought the switcher and are looking for games like this opposed to yoshi and kirby which that's the other thing that bayonetta helps out with obviously three is still very far off but one and two are coming out early in 2018 and we know nothing about 2018 so previously all we knew was we're getting yoshi in the spring and probably sometime before that the new kirby game simply because it looks further along like they've showed more of it but if you're that older demographic i just talked about you don't necessarily want yoshi and kirby maybe but maybe not But Bayonetta coming in February, a double pack uh, at that, like sure, that's exactly kind of up that alley and it gives something else to do you know, in the spring until Nintendo probably next month's Direct reveals what's actually coming in 2018 for Switch, so so it's kind of savvy. But the question becomes what are you going to do? I mean, you said you're excited about Bayonetta. Are you going to double dip? Are you getting three? Where where are you at in all this?
1: Probably just going to get three.
0: I think I'm in the same boat. I mean,
1: my Wii U is still perfectly accessible. I still play it Almost every day because of Smash Brothers, it's
0: not gonna local co-op. for and might... Elvis isn't enough of a hook.
1: Mm, no, not not for Bayonetta. Yeah, I don't see Bayonetta as a co-op game. I see it
0: as a single player game too. Though.
1: Yeah, I mean I know the co-op is fun. Like I've seen enough of it and I played it a little bit with another friend, but it's not something I would want to. It's not something I care about. It's nothing I care to pursue.
0: So no, that makes sense. I think I think in the case of Bayonetta, this port. Much less like Mario Kart, more like maybe Pokin. It's less about getting hardcore Nintendo fans to double dip and more about bringing it to the audience that didn't exist on Wii U. They put all this time and energy into this game. Pokin was in a similar boat, but actually sold like really well. But they, not really well, but well. Yeah, there are many games that um, will
1: double dip for the Switch.
0: Yeah, like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe made sense. I feel like yeah, more business.
1: Well, so well, yeah, well, that one. Well, that game, it just felt like I wasn't done playing it. Right. Pokin. Well, Pokken, uh, they didn't. I shouldn't have even bought on it the first time.
0: Well, I mean, poking they looking so at, I ob- could have bought on it this time, right? Oh yeah, yeah. but going to say, objectively, poking if you look at it, is basically exactly what they're doing at Bayonetta. Same game, one new mode. Well, yeah, because like... or one change to a but one onlineification of a mode. Basically,
1: yeah. I mean, if it wasn't, yeah, I, I would totally get poking. I still want poking. Yeah. Um, they finally got they finally got around to making that mode I want actually online against other people. Mm-hmm. So
0: tag battle, right? Yeah, tag battle, which yeah.
1: is the mode that i really am most interested in but it's still not worth right yeah that's 60 bucks that, if i hadn't already bought it
0: right because yeah right right which is basically the bayonetta bucket like for anyone at the end by bayonetta 2 with one included on wii u whether they owned a wii u or not here it is better so with an the, online mode that previously was local only so. so do you
1: think we're gonna get a like a metro oh no other way around it's a local switch. mode it's an online mode that's now local only but what so with this bundle from Bayonetta I think we're gonna get like a Metropan trilogy update? I would be shocked if we didn't.
0: I mean everything's already motion control mapped from the Wii version. If mm-hmm. they did an H D remake or H D Uprise even, just throw it on the eShop. That'd be nice. It'd be really cool. I think it'd be smart of them to do, but
1: I'll definitely double dip on that one.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been long enough that I feel like I could get away with it. More so than, you know, if it was like something like uh Nintendo Land, but now with Local yeah. wireless multiplayer first, or something.
1: Yeah, first GameCube game on the Switch.
0: Yeah, by way of Wii. Because it'd probably yeah. be the Wii one. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Wii was basically a GameCube with a waggle remote, so, you know. But, but yeah, I think I'm excited for Bandana 3. I think they obviously didn't show any footage of real gameplay, but they've again changed their hair. Um, The moon has a crack in it that looks like the number 3. That's convenient. And, yeah, it looks fun. So, I I mean, you know, it's, conceptually, it's going to be fun, I'm sure. So, we saw basically nothing, but it's cool that they showed it in any capacity. Um but yeah in terms of Game Award news, besides the Bayonetta's and the Zeldas and, you know, our talk about the awards themselves, that's pretty much it. Like like I said earlier, I honestly thought we'd see more third party stuff at the show, but obviously that didn't happen. Unexpectedly though, we did see some third party switch announcements outside of the Game Awards in the days leading up to it. Some there's not much to say about, like Shimigai Tensei Five confirmed for the West that's cool I mean I think it was a given it was coming but nice the, RP- the J- Switch is turning into a JRPG machine that's good for fans of that genre great but then you've got others where there is something worth mentioning because we have a bit more information really namely the return of the Blue Bomber himself with Mega Man 11 which uh,
1: I think the fact this game exists Mega Man 11 is more interesting than the, how the game looks itself I
0: like the look you don't like the look it just reminds me of like New Super Mario Brothers. It reminds me of My Number Nine. <laughs> yeah. This is Capcom clearly saw, like what happened, what My Number Nine was supposed to be, and what it turned into, and then went, you know what? Uh Let's do that correctly, and now here we are. But without no, I, Inafune, yeah, without Inafune, but with a team from Mega, from uh, Capcom that seems to really understand what Mega Man's about, based on all the interviews I've read and stuff. Like they seem very dedicated to making a proper game. I think you're right though that it is a big. It's it's also a bigger deal that exists at all. I mean. Basically, after how, how many years has it been since the last Mega Man like eight? game? Eight, eight, yeah. And it's it's nice to see that for the third anniversary, Capcom decided not to simply ignore the franchise and actually do something. Like, did you see the video where they announced it? Yeah the the live stream. Yeah,
1: yeah. The I thought it was funny how like look at all these like Mega Man games like between these years, and, and then there's just a huge yeah, gap. yeah. And then, then there's like eight little mile run where there's just nothing.
0: Yeah, which I feel like was them sort of winking and nodding to the whole thing. But yeah, it was still like they knew they were getting into it of so they. Did yeah. To make a timeline? Yeah. And I mean, the, the My Number Nine comparison, as much as I hate to keep making it, it does, like, at a glance, Mega Man 11 is what My Number Nine wanted to be. Like, it's a true Mega Man game, you know, uh, blah. it's like true Mega Man gameplay is what I'm trying to say. It, you know, right down to like, it has a silly jump pose from the old one. They've added the integration, you know, the later features, like the slide jump is back, but it's all updated, has a new 2.5 hand drawn, like 2.5D hand drawn art style. Mega Man himself has a slightly new design, but still very much the classic one. They just kind of tweaked his proportions. You still got the eight Robot Masters to defeat, which you can do in any order, just like in a real Mega Man. But now, when you do so, now I do get a new power-up, but you actually get a drastic visual change on Mega Man himself. So that's kind of a new thing. There's also apparently some other so he, new... He's going Kirby. He's going Kirby. There's also some sort of new um, gameplay mechanic they're, they're uh, hinting about. There's a I don't know if anyone knows in the footage, there's a gear icon on the heads up, on like the HUD of the game, and they say it has something to do with a new mechanic that's gonna be critical throughout the game. That's the only thing that gives me pause. Like, I'm sure they'll stay true of Mega Man, but if they add some weird gimmick that people, that, you know, isn't Mega Man-y enough, it, it, it could go awry, but, and the fact that they're not saying it makes me wonder, are we stuck in a, is it like the Sonic cycle for Mega Man now? Like, is it gonna be like, oh, that's awesome, oh, you're adding that? Oh, like, hopefully not. I really don't think that's what they're doing, but the, the chance is there. But yeah, I think, I think it overall looks pretty cool. I mean, were you... Were, I, I enjoy Mega Man, but I've never been like the biggest fan. Were you ever... Are you like... You're saying you're more interested in, in the concept of it existing than the game, but are you actually like a huge Mega Man guy? Are you going to buy this thing when it comes mm, out? I Somehow we've I never talked about this.
1: never... The only Mega Man game I recall buying was Mega Man X and Mega Man X2 for the Wii U. Ah, oh, okay. So before that, like, I had Mega Man for the Game Boy, the original Game Boy. Right. And I picked, it that, I picked it the entirety of that game and I really liked it. Which was basically just Mega Man 1. Right, right. But, I don't know. I I think uh, regular Mega Man, I just never really found it as fun as the X game. They always just seemed kind of bland. Well, I think
0: it's your Star Fox theory of life here in that you came in with X. Well, So you're used to X and then going well, I mean, to they, the old one. Well, I came in
1: with the first one, the first Mega Man 1. But, I mean, I was uh, the little one I
0: played it, so it felt the
1: right amount of challenging. Right, right. But... I don't know. I mean, Mega Man games are also just really hard, but they're just not... I don't know. They they feel... Never clicked. Re- the, maybe it's the speedy run that that just feels just slow enough to make me kind of bored. Mm. I don't
0: know. Yeah, because I feel like Mega Man for me has always been like... I've enjoyed it, but I haven't been like a diehard about it. So whenever they announce a new Mega Man, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then I proceed to not do anything but yeah. that information. I'm just Mega ha- Man 10 I did get. I mean, I'm happy. And it- I like that a lot, but I don't like... Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm happy it exists. I'm... I'm still planning on playing through the Mega Man X games just because I feel... They're they're just a lot faster paced. Yeah. Um, That's true. That's definitely what I really enjoy about them. Mm -hmm. Regular Mega Man games, they're just kind of... They're just slower. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, like I said, a a lot of them are really hard and I mean, the music is always great, but...
0: Yeah, and I mean, lucky for you, um, Switch will be getting all the Mega Man Xs in a new collection in 2018. In fact... Capcom seems to be making up for lost time with Mega Man in general um because when they announced Mega Man 11 they actually confirmed a total of 19 19 Mega Man games will all be hanging switch in the next year so there's Mega Man X collection or whatever they end up call it, calling it which is you know basically for you I guess and then there's also going to be ports of Mega Man Legacy Collection 1 and 2 which uh both of them are gaining amiibo support um, in the original Legacy Collection that was on 3DS, they had special challenges you can unlock with those Amiibo that will make the jump to Switch. They also had exclusive museum mode, like, artwork via the Amiibos that will also make the jump to Switch. So it's, like, 218 different pieces of concept art in total. Kind of cool. So they're not just quick and dirty parts. They're actually optimizing them and adding stuff in. But yeah, we are getting 19 Mega Man games with 11, I guess, being the very big finale at the end or something like that. So... I guess for us it's not too exciting because we both seem kind of like passive Mega Man people. But for the for diehard fans, that that's that's a whole lot of Mega Man. <laughs> that's that's kind of impressive. I, I actually think it's kind of interesting um, that Capcom went from being so wishy washy with the Switch to confirming 19 games in a single day. Granted, there are four actual releases, but within them, 19 games in a single day. Like that, that's quite the 180. Like I'm starting to think. There maybe was secretly some sort of internal tug of war about Switch within Capcom, and like maybe this Mega Man having 19 games is kind of sign that one of the, is a sign that one of the sides maybe finally won. Because like I mean, th- if you think about it, here's a company who, and we've discussed this on the show before. They repeatedly said that they were evaluating and testing the Switch, and you know, everything was a trial run. It happened with Street Fighter 2, even though that went on to sell incredibly well. It happened with Monster Hunter Double Cross, which Capcom has now just said to their investors recently, is selling above their own expectations. And with the just released Resident Evil revelations on Switch, it recently came to light, thanks to a Famitsu interview, that at one point they're actually gonna make Amiibo for it. They're gonna have Amiibo of the Hulk and Lady, or not Hulk, Hunk and Lady Hunk, Um, character, people, whatever you want to call them, that you could scan to the game. That's probably why the final version of Resident Evil Revolutions on Switch has amiibo support whatsoever. I mean, these amiibo got as far as having 3D model prototypes made. They were going to happen and then didn't. So, you know, we never got the ami- amiibo. Street Fighter success was sort of cast off as just being a broader test. And Monster Hunter Double Cross still has no localization plans. So, like, for everything that Capcom's like, oh, we're testing, and then things go super well, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's not a good example of it. And then they continue to do more, and then they start even considering Amiibo and investing in that whole process. To have them then come around and be like, oh, Switch is not something we're interested in. Seems It seems like there's some internal conflict there. So I I, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping the 19 Mega Man games maybe is a sign that finally Capcom's fully on board. I mean, you could argue they're all older titles, but one of them. So maybe not. But... Whoever seems to be pushing back against Switch within Capcom, at least in my opinion, maybe is caved at this point, which at least I hope that's the case, and that that would be nice. Because Capcom, up till recently, was such a big supporter of Nintendo, and still is on 3DS. That's so weird. It's so weird how they treated Switch, even though they actually have three major games on it now, with, you know, four Mega Men coming next year. Yeah. But I actually find it especially funny when you compare Capcom's, like, wishy-washiness with what's going on on in the indie scene. Because over the last month or two, two separate small-scale game companies have pledged to support the Switch. You have limited run games and strictly limited. Both cases, these companies exist specifically to cater to niche game releases where, you know, it's a niche game for a niche audience and they put out physical copies on a small scale to cater just to them. Like limited run is literally going to release only a few thousand copies of existing eShop games as physical releases. And then Strictly Limited is also doing small-time releases, but theirs is a little different in that they're actually working to get new content to Switch as these small physical releases, including, I don't know what it will be, but might be interesting because I know you like Wonder Boy. Um, There's some mysterious old game from the creator of Wonder Boy that they're now going to kind of bubble back up as a special limited release on Switch, like a limited physical release. So could be cool. I don't know what it is. They haven't said, but could Could be cool. But the thing I find funny and the reason I bring it up in relation to Capcom is because, again... Capcom's decision to not back the Switch up until like this week with Mega Man, it's just so weird. If you have these small scale publishers finding success with niche tiles on a platform that has a limited, albeit growing, audience, I don't understand how someone like Capcom thought as a big publisher with mainstream releases that appealed to a large audience, why, why, why would they think people wouldn't buy it? Like if, if these little guys can find success, why well, can't They have properties that could be the reason a lot of people decide to go to Switch. It's like, oh, if only like this, these two games were on it. And now they're slowly realizing that. And and I mean, it's it's weird because like even indies outside those limited run companies have had success and are now making physical releases. Like that should be a sign to Capcom. Maybe it is. Maybe that's why we get Mega Man. But that you would think would be a sign that oh hey, there's real demand here. I mean, Overcooked, we ra- you raved about that game a few months ago here on the podcast. Physical release coming in February. Shante Half Genie Hero figure, physical release coming in 2018. So if Capcom needed like proof, there's that, and then there's these ongoing indie stories of these games selling so much better on Switch than anywhere else. Like the latest crop of them includes Cat Quest, real game, Cat Quest, um, outpacing its its sales on Steam and mobile in the first two weeks on Switch. And then the bigger no- the bigger one, bigger number is uh, Steam World Dig Two has sold nearly ten times as many games on Switch as it did on Steam, ten times. That's a large magnitude yeah. of you know, difference. <laughs> you know games on
1: Switch are doing well when, last I checked today, Minecraft is in the last spot yeah. of best-selling games.
0: Yeah, and in Europe... It's literally about to be pushed off. And in Europe, Rocket League, number one eShop game for all of November, ahead of any Nintendo games. Well, so, like, third parties clearly yeah, are doing well Resident on Switch. both the evils are on there. Yeah, yeah, and so maybe this is Capcom finally realizing after you see all this stuff I just rattled off, plus their own successes that they tried to and undermine. I Am is
1: back on there, too. I guess it's I Am Setsuna? Oh, it was on sale, wasn't it? No, yeah, yeah, because it's on sale. Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, so I don't know, like... 40% off is significant enough for... How the... much is it off? 40? Yeah, 40%. Oh, that's actually a pretty good deal. Yeah. I've heard it's a good game. For anyone on the fence, that's definitely an instant buy.
0: I had no idea it was, like, that much off. Yeah. I knew it was on sale, I figured it was, like, 15. I
1: did pre-purchase the Muted Muds collection.
0: Yes, that's true. And also, mm-hmm. um... Oh yeah, well, yeah. Uh,
1: well just because it's nine books now. Before, yeah, it
0: yeah, that's best. Yeah, I was gonna say also it's on sale, but I realized that is the pre-purchase. It's really like tripped up there. But yeah, mute Muds. I mean, it's a great game, and it comes with the puzzle modes, so we're checking out probably. Well,
1: yeah, it's like each game. I would say these games worth, worth more 10, than yeah, yeah. Each game is
0: easily worth ten books. I paid like eight for each on the on the 3ds, and these are now HD and everything. So, yeah. but yeah, my, my point is like. I don't know if it's a fluke or part of a plan that Mega Man's not, like Capcom's not here with Mega Man, but it Better Be the Star of something good, because everything we just said is every reason that Capcom should be on this thing 100%. Yeah,
1: I mean, they had already announced that they were also going to port all the Ace Attorney games, except for. That's right.
0: Well, they didn't say anything about port, but. One, they, two, just,
1: three. they just ported um, Ace Attorney investigations well, thought, HD ports, to iOS. I thought the ports were a
0: rumor, and only a new Ace Attorney was confirmed. Or has it been confirmed? The
1: ports? No, it's been confirmed. They said, oh, okay. they said both things. Cause I remember we had a whole talk, or maybe it was a talk I had with Elvis, like whether I was gonna buy all three again. Cause I essentially have them like four or five times. Yeah, you have a lot of them,
0: and it was definitely Elvis. We haven't talked about that, but but yeah, yeah, it's so. So you know, all these signs definitely point to Capcom's on 100 now. I think, I think, well, I think same. my whole little spiel about Capcom get your act together was a little late. Cause it sounds like now that we're sitting here listing everything, it sounds like they got their act together. So good on you, Capcom. The last ten minutes were worth. They those, should throw it on us
1: you. A, a fighting game series since Street Fighter is stuck at Sony. Yeah, stuck we have Sony. Street Fighter, sort of. Oh, I mean, like a new one. Like oh, that'd be like, cool. Like you, I mean, like we're not gonna get any Street Fighter because of Street Fighter Five being over there. But I mean, they have other fighting games. Like, that'd be neat. They could give us Darkstalkers. That'd or... be neat.
0: You know, it'd freak out the fanboys and should could have done big. Uh, right, uh, it was with Capcom Ultimate Three. I can form a sentence. I was gonna say, you know, it'd freak out the fanboys and would have probably made a big splash just because what at uh, the Game Awards Power Stone. Oh yeah! Imagine if they brought back Power they Stone as a Nintendo fit fighter. Really well with Nintendo. Yeah, yeah, it would be perfect. Yeah, and fans would freak because like it hasn't been around since the Dreamcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, PSP. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. It was on PSP. So that was the Dreamcast one. It was just a yeah. port of. Pro yeah, exactly. 2. But the
0: nostalgia would be so strong. Mm-hmm.
1: But anyway, yeah. Uh, Capcom it the it... worst system uh-huh. to port a game to. What that... the PSP? No, I mean not not not, not that it's the worst one to port a game to. It's the worst system to port this kind of game to. PSP.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because you're so isolated in playing it.
1: Yeah, because Power Stone is best with, like, four people, but...
0: It's a perfect local multiplayer game, so you put it on the system where you don't do local multiplayer.
1: Yeah, where it's you know. hard enough to find someone with a PSP, let alone the game. Well, keep also. in mind, when
0: PSP came out, everyone thought it was going to be a Nintendo killer, and it was going to destroy the DS and Game Boy, and it was going to be the de facto handheld. And Power Stone was there I in the mean, first year. It ended too. up being
1: the de facto handheld to play a lot of Mario emulators on it. That's Pretty like, much, yeah. I thought I always saw people playing, Mario Brothers 3 or Mario World.
0: Which, in and of itself, tells you that uh, Nintendo's always going to dominate handhelds. Because even when you have a competing handheld, why are you playing on it? Nintendo. <laughs>
1: yeah. So,
0: I don't know. But, um, yeah, beyond just Capcom, you know, we were talking indie games. Uh, there's a handful of additional indie announcements that happened these past few weeks that maybe we're bringing up. Uh, certainly one of the most surprising is we're getting a Portal game. Or to be more precise and to crush any dreams from anyone that doesn't know what I'm talking about and got really excited right there. We're getting a Portal spinoff that's about building bridges. It's is uh is it like a spinoff
1: of that one bridge building it's, game?
0: No, it's a spin-off of a different bridge building game, which is the thing that is so weird about this. Okay, so there's two bridge building games. There's bridge constructor and then there's polybridge. Polybridge was announced for Switch and Nintendo, I think the Nindy Direct. Yes. Bridge Constructor was not. But now Bridge Constructor with a portal license and portal physics and portal stuff where basically you have an, you're you're driving and you're trying to help an aperture truck get to its delivery point, and they're like uh, sentry turrets and power portals and all sorts of stuff in the way that make, you know, you have know, crazy physics of, well, if you drop down here in the bridge and come up over there and that sort of thing. That's one game. They have is just about building bridges, like normal, without Portal. And the problem is, for poor Polybridge, it comes out this week. And Bridge Constructor Portal comes out early next year, both on Switch. So... I don't know how big the bridge constructing genre is, but I feel like poor Polybridge just got screwed over because you got one game that has all this attention because it's Portal. You got another game that's just like, I, I build bridges and, and that's it. I thought
1: Polybridge looked interesting that I would definitely check it out. I was but very now, now that this it. one exists, I'm like, I'd rather just get the one with Portal stuff
0: because I love Portal. Yeah, so here's the thing is, I kind of want the Portal one, but I also vastly prefer the art style of Polybridge. Polybridge is really charming looking. Portal uh, bridge constructor looks actually kind of weirdly generic, even though it has the portal license. Like, everything's just kind of, I don't know. Like, I like Polybridge's art style more. So I might support Polybridge just because they're like the little guy in this situation. Just get both. I could just get both. I don't see myself building that many bridges in my life. I just, I just. I mean, don't. <laughs> if there was a free build
1: mode, I wouldn't even use that. But I mean, they're just puzzles. Yeah, they're just puzzles. Yeah. yeah. So
0: I guess I could get both. And I think I really do think that Bridge Constructor, possibly as a puzzle game, is more interesting because, like I was saying, you have all the warping and the, uh, you know, the dodging uh, turrets and the gravity-defying stuff. Like it's very, it takes what's already a physics game and adds just a second crazy layer on top of it. While Bridge is just a standard physics game. So, so yeah, Bridge, for those who may want to support this little guy here is out on the fourteenth. And Bridge Constructor's out in early next year, although it hits Steam, I think, on the 20th. Oh, there you go. Just buy them on different systems. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just felt really, like, when I saw that announcement, I actually thought it was Polybridge Portal, basically. And then I was looking at it like this, this is not the same developer. So I did some thinking like, oh, poor, poor Polybridge. Five days before they, they go live and this is announced. Maybe seven days, but yeah, that kind of sucks. And it, it's not, it's a weirdly recurring theme right now on the eShop because Bridge suffered from it and I feel like uh Poor Old Ukulele is kind of in a similar boat by which I mean they are totally right down to the same release date of December 14th in the exact same boat because Ukulele is finally hitting switch this week this kind week but... Congratulations, Jason you I know I finally get game, my game that you but paid for that I I paid for know. 3 years ago yeah I backed three years ago. Yes. Now keep in mind, it has been on other systems since April, but the move to the Switch is what kind of screwed them up because, um, they had to basically recreate their engine on an entirely new platform. And, you know, they worked with Nintendo and Unity and got it done. And in the grand scheme of things, only six months later isn't horrible, but still, yeah, not ideal. But yeah, Ukulele is now finally coming to Switch. Problem is, it has to contend with Mario Odyssey, which, in this case, unlike the bridge games, uh, the genre is big enough that I think both of them can live side by side, but, yeah, there's no way ukulele will not be compared to Odyssey by like every single person on the planet. So that's kind of a bummer for ukulele. I mean, to the credit of the developers at Playtonic, uh, they're doing their best. They're absolutely making sure it has the best foot forward on Switch. I mean, I was reading this interview with GameIndustry.biz with uh, one of the developers at Platonic, and he was saying that really the Switch version to them is the home is like the homecoming of sorts. They had the most backers for Nintendo fans, like it, of of the original Kickstarter wii u backers were more than ps4 and xbox combined so it was always a thing like that nintendo fans really wanted and then of course the delay happened but this is almost like a second launch to them they have added a lot of stuff to try and address concerns from the original the release putting out for the, the art is super cool yeah yeah see that's how you hook nintendo fans go ahead and make it nostalgic throw banjo kazooie in there throw donkey kong mm-hmm. throw diddy throw dixie throw lanky, dixie, kong. Throw lanky. Have, yeah. yeah the lanky arms art is great yeah but yeah, for those who don't know, we talked about, um, this kind of little ad campaign they did on their own is they, they got all the former rare artists that are now involved with, uh, ukulele to make fan art that combines ukulele, Nintendo, and classic rare games. And they're doing one a day, I think for the week or so, week and a half leading into the launch on the 14th. And it does look really cool. But beyond just that though, the thing that I think they're, they're trying to do that's actually kind of admirable is they're taking criticism people had about the original version on playstation 4 and xbox and they're actually trying to fix it so like they've adjusted the camera system the third party cameras now or third person camera is now totally controllable they have added single joy-con support for multiplayer so you can do multiplayer off one switch they've added a custom achievement system they've added specifically because fans called it out the ability to skip cutscenes, the ability to tweak audio settings, the ability to fast forward through text, more uh, easily found content in the hub world. Like more easy, uh, moves are easier to learn because they're basically doing what Mario Odyssey does where you just have a start menu that has a whole move index there to browse. Like they're really trying, it seems, to address everything people thought was problematic about the original version and sort of do right with Ukulele on Switch. So this is in many ways the definitive edition. We'll see if they pull it off, but I think it's, I think it's admirable that they're trying. Like, I think they could just throw it out there and be like, whatever, but they seem to know that the Nintendo fans are the ones that are really going to be into this or not. So they're, 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 they're doing their best, is what I was trying to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, as a backer, I'm of course very interested in checking it out. I, and my expectations have lowered based on the reviews and based on the fact that Mario Odyssey is so amazing. See, I'm making the comparison. The comparison I was afraid people are going to make, I am now making. But as a standalone thing, as a Banjo Kazooie style experience, I'm still excited to try it. Like, I don't know how much it'll resonate with people that haven't backed it. Like, are you going to get it? It's $40. Like, would you get it on Switch? Mm. Excluding the fact that Elvis has it on PS4 and you saw him play it. Like, if you just saw Ukulele, would you be like, that is something I'm interested in, or would you just gravitate towards Mario? Because that's my concern. People are going to gravitate.
1: I would get it eventually on sale.
0: Mm. See, that's a a reasonable option, because that means... At least at some level, Playtonic got paid for their game by the distributor. So, yeah, yeah, because it it is a decent game. Don't get me wrong, but it's just it's very hard up against Mario. Yeah, in well, this because, I mean,
1: for me right now, it's not even Mario. It's just there's just so many games that I want to play right now that are coming out that came out. That have been on since March. That just got a lot of DLC recently, right? Yeah, Nintendo went that, crazy these last four years. It's like well, I don't like I don't really have any more room to fit for other games that I want to start. Like I've even cut back on Smash Bros. just to, like, yeah, like I finished 100 percenting Mario just to like, get that done, mm-hmm. and then I recently just bought like four or five games on the eShop, but yeah, there's no there's no room for Yuka,
0: poor Yuka, Lely. and poor Laylee. Yeah, they are two separate creatures.
1: Oh yeah, and then Brawlout comes out soon, and oh I yeah, want to the nineteenth, yeah, nineteenth,
0: twenty bucks. Yeah, uh, we we'll probably talk a bit more about it in a future episode, given that you're a fine game go to. Mm, we'll see. <laughs> okay, we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so I I mean I'll talk about ukulele for sure in the upcoming episode. But I, I just think like, yeah, ukulele and and Polybridge, poor 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 indie games. That timing, that's the thing. Even when you're a big indie game, like timing still is important. Mm-hmm. Or even when you're a small indie game. Even when you're an indie game, timing's still important, so we'll see. On the flip side of all this, however, is a different Switch indie game called Fury. And if the ones we talked about have like soon-to-be or just-released counterparts to worry about, I feel like Fury, this one caught my eye at least, it kind of stands on its own. It doesn't have any competition, at least until No More Heroes hits way down the line. And that's because, really, um, there aren't many games like Fury on Switch. Because Fury is essentially a boss rush mode turned into a full game. It's one big homage to like, so like No More Heroes and Metal Gear what, you mean, like and Monster God Hand and
1: – what? You mean like Monster Hunter and Cuphead and No More Heroes?
0: None of, none of those are on
1: Switch in America. Oh. oh I, just, I, thought, I just heard you say that there aren't that many Boss Rush games. No, I meant on Switch. Like it oh. stands
0: alone on Switch right now.
1: It's an homage oh, yeah. to a lot of that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's different from, I could be wrong, but I think it's different from Monster Hunter in that there's no exploration that leads up to the boss rush, so to speak. It's literally just you go boss to boss to boss to boss. It's uh, like well, these I mean, one-off combat things.
1: The exploration part isn't really happening until Monster Hunter World. True, but yeah. there's a
0: little. I mean, it's not, uh, you have to get to them.
1: I don't know. They, they, I, I wouldn't, it's not as exploratory as people think, let's put it that way.
0: I mean, yeah, there's a lot of like, like monsters that you run. A, no, the no,
1: not 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 even that. Like, because the areas like once you play the game, like they're not that big. Like, you always know where the monster's going to be. You just go straight there because they're your only objective. And that's that's my point. You have to it. get
0: there. This one, I think, you just get yeah. dropped in. Okay, I mean, but, that takes yeah. like less than ten seconds. Eh, I guess the Literally. demo, the one demo I played on 3ds way back in the day, definitely took more than ten seconds to get to my monster. That one demo, which is my limited experience with Monster Hunter. But no, this one, Fury. Uh, no, nah, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, but. uh, yeah, with, with Fury, it's, um, it seems more like they're going for a No More Heroes vibe in terms of look and feel and everything. It, it's, I mean, they're describing it as kind of like a hybrid of like a sword fighting game and kind of a twin stick shooter in terms of like the intensity and twitchy gameplay. And essentially, yeah, you just go from boss fight to boss fight. But what's cool about it is it just looks incredibly slick. Like, production vibes are great. It looks incredibly slick. The guy behind Afro Samurai is doing all the character design or did all character design. It's on other systems. Um, they have electronic music contributed by actual like a tr- electronic musicians in Japan that are well known, and it just yeah it has it has all the content from the um, original game plus all the already released DLC ba- baked in. It just looks it just looks cool. It looks I really like the look and feel of it. So I mean it it's the problem for me is as anyone listening knows I don't have the reputation of being the best at games. And from what I know about Fury and what I've read about Fury, it's pretty hard. But even still, just the overall look and feel, it, it looks cool. I'm, You're I'm pretty interested. In it. it should be out in early 2018. I mean, you so. bought Bayonetta, that's, yeah, that's, and I uh, was not particularly great, at it, but I enjoyed it. So a the debatably hard game, yeah, yeah. Bay so like hard. this, this should be fun and it's different. So for all the games that have weird counterparts to deal with, at least there's one Fury that will briefly stand alone on Switch. So there you go. Until then, however there's of course plenty to play as you point out you have like a bajillion games i've been playing a bunch of games so let's shift gears a bit from news over to what we've been playing starting with the game of the episode which is animal crossing pocket camp and to be very upfront about it i think you and both both you and i probably have more the same kind of mixed feeling about the game like more so than i think we expected right like I don't know about you but I think like the game it just it does a lot right it also has some underlying things that just I don't know they just didn't fully hook me or keep me invested in the long term. Yeah, I I think it's a good Animal Crossing demo but I felt
1: I felt it hard I felt it hard to get motivated to do anything. Like yeah. I, I I don't know. I think part of it's, it, uh, it it's focusing really, on the furniture building. It, it didn't really feel rewarding to finish crafting something or to place things down. It felt like yeah, like, kind of like you said, like, it was very streaming. It felt like I was just, like, finishing a to-do list, which you literally are. Yeah, everything's and, wh- on a timer, is, everything's on a clock, everything's on Which I feel a bar. goes against everything that made Animal Crossing great. I agree. Because that's the kind of the whole point of Animal Crossing, that you don't really know what you want to do. That you're just kind of stumbling through everything until everything starts to make sense. And then you form your own schedule and mm-hmm. and your own plans. And this one is literally... Here's everything you need to do. Do this now. This is what you can do. Sometimes it's literally the only thing you can do. Like, you have to go in this place to fish, or you have to go to this place to make your furniture or whatever. But,
0: I don't know. I absolutely agree. Because I think... Oh, were you going to say something more? I no, I said,
1: like... I mean, I would definitely recommend to you that have never played Animal Crossing before because that's definitely the easiest way for them to do it. I think, to get yeah. your phone. But... I would tell them that, like, oh, so that's how Animal Crossing controls, and that's how the mechanics work. <laughs> and works. that's the
0: charm. Don't, it has yeah, like, the it has charm. To, yeah. It's missing everything else. Which is,
1: like, that, that's why I, I like it as a way just to show it off to people, but not, yeah. like, all right, now try the real thing.
0: Yeah, I think, I think my main issue with it is that in a quest to go the free-to-play route, they essentially forgot, or not forgot, but left out what makes Animal Crossing Animal Crossing. Like, to your point, I mean, like, if you look at Mario Run... Or look at Fire Emblem Heroes. They managed to successfully yeah, they don't really capture the identity. essence of the game. Yeah, exactly. And Animal Crossing, like not so much. Like I mean, because you, you were specifically saying like, everything's on a timer, everything's on a task. But one thing I always kind of liked about Animal Crossing is you, you sort of touched on this, but you literally do whatever, wherever. It's a unique experience per player. Like Everyone has something different. And obviously, you can't really recreate that in a mobile game that's free to play because that would undermine the game's goal of... A gang people to get money, trying to get money, and B gang people to then go play the real Animal Crossing. Because like if you do the real Animal Crossing on mobile, why would they then go play the real Animal Crossing for sixty dollars down the line? You know, so they do need to separate in some way. But I I don't know. I think the amount of I think it's too linear. Like I think the linearity that was swapped in sucks out kind of the soul of the franchise a little. Like it, it's what you're saying. You go through this loop of like very explicit goals they're not used to like you need to level up your your villager's friendship and then you need to request furniture for your campsite and then you make the furniture then you go to the campsite then you go get the next villager and then you go make furniture for them and you just keep loop it's this loop that you're in of just
1: yeah even though i I get why they added the meter the friendship meter yeah but it bothers me yeah i almost kind of feel like it kind of like it also just takes away from I guess, like, building your friendships on Animal Crossing. I like that it was all hidden from you. Yeah. In the actual game, like, you just keep talking to them, and eventually, you notice they do nicer things for you. They give you better rewards, and eventually, they give you their self-portrait, which is, like, like oh, wow. like Maxed out, basically. Yeah, like, like I maxed out their friendship. Like, I just like that subtlety of you just, it just happens when it happens yeah. instead of it being very... I don't know. I guess blatant. I don't and know. And it's not, it's not just blatant.
0: It's so structured. Like, an animal will be like, oh, give me three of these fish. And then you're like, okay. And it's like, cool. I'm at this spot for ten more minutes. It's like, why are you telling me you're here for ten-? Like, that's weird <laughs> that there's timers on everything. Where animals stand. Where their friendship level. Is. Like, yeah. everything's the so... The thing is that
1: regular Animal Crossing also has timers, but they're all, like, invisible.
0: It's It feels natural because it just uses the real clock to simulate real things. Yeah, yes. everything's
1: all like, oh, I have to come back. And, like, yeah. oh, this building will be done in a few days. Oh, this... Like, fish will regenerate tomorrow, right. blah, blah, blah. You know
0: what's funny is this made me realize the real Animal Crossing actually does have the same sort of... Uh, I don't know what to call it. You're doing the same Shopping basic stuff. stuff. You're doing the same stuff in the real Animal Crossing. extent. Like, you're still talking to villagers to get them to maybe give you gifts to ultimately get a self-portrait, right? You're still building out stuff like the museum or expanding Tomlick's store or collecting furniture to decorate your house. But it doesn't have that yeah, point you... A to B feel. It feels yeah, exactly. open world. Because
1: you dictate when exactly. you want to do all of that if if that
0: exactly so it's, it's it's like they take to give an analogy of a current Nintendo game it's as if they in my mind as if they took Breath of the Wild removed everything except the interaction that specifically moved the narrative forward and then said here you go this is the game now
1: it just feels like yeah, or it's just it like they limited or it'd be like Odyssey if you, the only star the only moon that was active were was the main yeah, yeah, the main, yeah. and all the other ones were hidden until you beat
0: it like Which it kind of does do that anyway. but Right, but more so, yeah. It, it's like they limited – like in my mind, it's like they took a franchise that's about no limitations and then put literally artificial limits on it. Like you see the limits everywhere you go because everything's a bar or a timer or a clock or a thing. And like I get it. If you're going to go free-to-play, you need some structure because real money is involved. They need everything to be equal. They need to keep it balanced in that regard. But even within that thinking, I feel like they could have mixed it up a bit more. Like why does everyone have the exact same neighbors? Why couldn't they like why does everyone have the exact same camp- campsite layout why does everyone have access to all the fruit yeah i mean you have a great multiplayer as soon as they saw the f-
1: all the, all the different kinds of fruit in one area i'm all like yeah, that, that, that like took me out of the experience. I like this is an Animal Crossing. What this is this? A, what is this imposter? <laughs> More than one
0: fruit on the beach? <laughs> <laughs> what is this it's Chinese? Like, how, how does
1: this make sense?
0: I know it's it's insane because like here is the thing: they have a clever multiplayer component. You have the market boxes where you can go see what other people have that you may need. You can visit their campsites. You can you know uh, give them kudos, but when all the campsites look the same and we're all when everyone has access to all the same things, it kind of undermines the entire purpose. So all it becomes is a way to give kudos, which don't really do much so I I don't know like I think it would have been really cool if let's say you had apples and I had pears and then I need to check my you know market boxes of friends to get the other fruit like that feels more Animal Crossing-y already it feels a little more like open world like not it's not tied to a timer it's not tied to a structure and if you're responding with yeah but how you know you'll get the fruit they also very cleverly have random characters in their RVs pop into your game which I actually really like it makes it feel very communal even though it's not but when you see those characters they offer you their market boxes and stuff. You can browse it. You can get food from them. I like the market box idea. Yeah, they They, just need to implement it more.
1: Also, like, on the OK Motors, like, they... Yeah. A lot of of steps in the right direction. Yeah, and it's just,
0: like, it's just so rigid and structured compared to what we're used to Animal Crossing being that, like, it 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 loses the essence of the game, like you were saying before. And I think the bar to me is that, to your point about OK, like, the OK Motor crew and, you know, a lot of stuff in the game, it's a very well-skinned Animal Crossing game. Like the charms, all still there. The writing, the character animations. I like little touches, like if you bring a certain item to a villager that now, for the first time in the series, triggers a little cutscene where they use it, like oh, we're smoking a fish together or we're baking a pie, and like, that's kind of a nice thing. Or like little things, like the game cleverly to invite characters to your campsite, you can call them from your contact list, which is a little on your cell phone, which is kind of a neat little meta thing. Now that's a phone game. Or like even just the characters look great in HD. Like the animations are all really nice. They've them more ado, like when they're in their campsite, they're not just walking around or saying. you know, they have like cups of coffee, they, there's a lot going on, but it's just, I don't know, it, it doesn't fully capture Animal Crossing. Like even stuff like, um, leaving out the, the puns for bugs or fish. Like, I understand, it's custom, Animal will have to be fast, but like, that just, that, that is an egregious act, Nintendo, and you should be punished for it, because that, honestly, those puns are the best, but, like, even little things like yeah. that, just like, this is not true crossing Animal Crossing, crossing is, is the really best. One of the,
1: yeah. like, one of the pillars of Animal Crossing.
0: You know, perhaps, like, like it's not, I don't know, it's, it's not like Nintendo, thing. I. it's weird because I could see Nintendo sort of having some semblance of old school Animal Crossing sort of in there. Like, if you dig deeper than the surface, I mean, if you really want to get creative with your campsite, the game does let you go wild in that one aspect. I mean, there's this trend online of people turning their uh, pocket camps into prison camps, where folks are just getting creative with the fencing and putting their animals in the, you know, sticking the villagers in a way that they can't get out. And since you're, um you know, since you only have the furniture set up to recruit the animal to the village when, or to your campsite, once they're there, you can pull it away. You do have freedom to really go crazy, excuse me, to really go crazy with the uh, design once it's there. but. You're just limited by the fact that your campsite physically is the exact same as everyone else. Like there's no layout differences, which was a big thing about, you know, visiting other villages and other games. So
1: especially New Leaf, like that game did let you fully customize everything and it was, it's, it's crazy with some of the cities people created.
0: And it's weird to go backwards from that when like it's not that hard to just shuffle around the shape of the campsite even. I don't know. But and beyond just that, like I do think Tune in Town's credit, the time goals and the stretch goals that they offer do give a hint of old school animal crossing they still have you do things like you know um that are kind of linked to numbers and timers and stats but it encourages you to do more than just build furniture it's like go visit other campsites and give kudos or collect bugs and fish or collect certain numbers of bugs and fish and your reward for doing that of course with leaf tickets which is the game's currency and ultimately yeah you're filling meters again but at least they provide some variety they get you to go like outside of just your little campsite. And I, I kinda find myself enjoying those little goals more than just the furniture stuff. Because though those and picking and choosing which ones I want to fulfill, especially the stretch goals that last for, like weeks on end or days or whatever it is versus a few hours, that kind of reminds me of like true Animal Crossing where it's like I'm really choosing what I want to do. But yeah, I I don't know. Perhaps generally speaking it's just Maybe it's just a matter of the game needing to be built out more. Like, Nintendo has a long-term plan in place. They said they do. It includes in-game items and events, or in-game events with items, I should say. Like, the current holiday promotion going on, you get special items, you get special building materials. They're rolling out villagers, it seems like, almost bi-weekly. There's, like, four new villagers. Um, Of course, there's the seasons and the holidays and the in-game events that can lead to new things to collect and do. But I'm really curious to see how all this ties in with their monetization going forward. Because right now, at least, I have found no need whatsoever to spend money on leaf tickets. Like, Nintendo's being pretty generous with them. And even outside the game, like, they're doing stuff like that retweet event, where if you retweet Isabel on Twitter's tweet, uh, I think it's 100,000 times everyone gets leaf tickets. So Nintendo's being pretty generous right now. And with something like Animal Crossing, you're kind of already, I mean, to your point earlier, you're already used to the timers. So Fruit taking a day to grow back, waiting for items to arrive, all that has been a real time clock based thing since the GameCube version. So it's not like I'm in a rush to build anything. I can just be like, yep, that comes You're tomorrow. Right. That's how it goes. Even like even my concern about KK slider, remember we were when uh, we were talking about Wednesday first, and that's like, oh god, it's 250 leaf tickets? That sounds horrible. Yeah, I had two hundred fifty within the first couple of days. No money required. I'm at like four hundred right now. So pretty sure like you don't even need real money for KK. And for better or worse, I kind of hmm. suspect we're going to end up seeing Nintendo roll out stronger monetization down the line when the player base is more established. And I say that because if you look at the app's performance, you and me appear to not be the only ones not paying a penny. I mean, you haven't paid anything, right? No. Yeah, so we're not the only ones. And what I mean is if you look at the game's download rate and compare it to its revenue, it's it's kind of stark. So on the download side, according to data from Sensor Tower... Animal Crossing is already the second most download, uh, second strongest performance, I should say, of a Nintendo mobile game yet. It's 15 million downloads after six days, according to their data. Which, while behind Mario Run's 32 million, is ahead of Fire Emblem Heroes 7 million by almost double. And that also puts it in line at 15 million with the major debut of most big name mobile games like Clash Royale, that debuted with 17 million in the same frame time frame. So you know we're not talking that crazy if you look at something like pokemon go in six days that only has 6.8 million so it's already double what pokemon go was doing and we know how big that got so that's good but then the revenue is not really as good i mean if sensor towers data is estimate uh, is correct their estimates say that pocket camp has made 10 million dollars in its first nine days which in and of itself is a lot of money but that's less than their data of mario run making 24 million in nine days and definitely less than Fire Emblem's $33 in nine days. In fact, it's only a third of that. So I don't know what that means for a future game in terms of, are they going to roll out more monetization? But when you have, according to this data, the average Japanese player is spending $4.15 on Animal Crossing, and everywhere else in the world is less than a quarter, less than 25 cents, something's going to change. And I think that perhaps raises questions of more variety in the game because they can't just keep obviously if people aren't paying for furniture speed up they're not gonna pay for furniture speed ups more in the future if they're not doing it now you know but there's two potential avenues they like can either make leaf tickets harder to get but at some point there's gonna be a backlash for gamers or they can enhance the game in some meaningful way they can evolve it they can add more layers it can make it more like the real animal crossing we're used to by adding more variety which i think is what's going to happen because obviously we're gonna get new furniture and new villagers but if you look at something like fire emblem heroes or more nobly perhaps pokemon go they were able to diversify and really build out a more fully fledged game that not just captures the vibe of their respective franchises but does it in a way that feels like a deeper experience overall which i think is what animal crossing needs right like right now it's just not deep. It's just like you go spend this and you go do that, then you go do that to trigger this, and then this triggers the next thing and that's like it. So so Pokemon Go, like I said, I think...
1: Yeah, it's not the most entertaining thing.
0: Yeah, and I think Pokemon Go is maybe the best example of how you can branch out, because, you know, they have stuff like the raid battles that came out, and uh, they're still working on trading and battling between players, which will be coming down the pipe. And just this past Hmm. week, they yeah, I know, it's taking them forever. It's like, why bother at this point? It's still a huge game. It's still a big game. Like, a lot of people still play it. It's not a phenomenon, but it's definitely still up there. Um, some of the top grossing apps in the iOS store. And what's actually kind of interesting is just the past week, they introduced 50 new Pokemon from the third gen, the first of the third gens, uh, which is really the Go equivalent to destroying new villagers into Animal Crossing. But then they also introduced something that changes how the game works, which in theory, this is why I think Animal Crossing should do. So in, in Go's uh, example, they added real-time weather effects that will actually influence the frequencies of which Pokemon you see. So, that in and of itself is actually really cool to me, because it takes the whole idea of AR and really goes one step for- further towards a real alternate reality, because now, if it's raining, you're going to see more water types. If it's hot out, you'll see... well, actually, I don't know about hot out, but if it's foggy out, you'll see more ghost types, like that sort of thing. It's so with
1: Hot out and fire types.
0: if it, Yeah, that would make sense, but then what happens if there's an actual fire, and then are they going to have people walking into fires to catch Charizards, that seems. Especially in LA right now, with all those fires that that can be risky. But no, but the point is, um the point in bringing this up, besides it just being a cool thing that I like that they did, is perhaps many of the concerns we have about Animal Crossing, the linearity, the fact that you do essentially just... You know, all you do is essentially fill progress bars. Perhaps they'll fade away as Nintendo implements their long-term strategy. Perhaps, unlike our typical game impressions, Pocket Camp is maybe a little harder to give a definitive yay or nay on at this point. Because, yeah, right now it doesn't feel like Animal Crossing. But it could be quite different six months from now. It could be quite different a year from now. And I think perhaps... There's enough in it for me personally to play in the interim kind of casually and I'm like morally interested just because maybe a villager I like will pop up or something. But as it evolves and grows, I think, I think there will be more to it. Cause the charm's there. I really like, it feels like Animal Crossing in, in terms of like look and feel and writing and music and all that. It's just, there's just not much beyond the facade at this point. So if they can add more meat to the bone, so to speak, then I think there's hope for this game. As of right now, I wouldn't call it a disappointment. I'm, I'm moderately happy with it, but it definitely is not Animal Crossing on mobile in the same way Mario Run was Mario on mobile.
1: Yeah, I whatever. can't really say I'm disappointed either, though that's the word I want to use. Because, I mean, it's Animal Crossing. I'm not like, how... Yeah, I, I thought there was no way I would, I would not enjoy the game, but... I mean, yeah, I guess I just didn't really find it all too fun. So I guess you could say I was disappointed. I feel like we should also mention. But it's a, But then again, yeah. I was never really expecting to play, to keep games on my phone anyway.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. See, I, I'm, so, a, I'm a digital pack rat. I have, hold on. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, six and a half screens of apps and games. Yeah. Full iPhone screens. I'm a weirdo.
1: Yeah, if I have games, I'll put them on my iPad. So, but that game. Didn't make the cut
0: no and and I think we should be very Alder we should still be playing it. We should I know be, he enjoys it yeah we should be fair we are kind of a I wouldn't say a unique use case but we are the guys that didn't buy Happy Home Designer like the furniture stuff is the least interesting to me of Animal Crossing so everything I said people are gonna be like oh but I love the furniture it's like great so maybe it captures the spirit of Animal Crossing for you but at least for me and I guess for you too Angel um, as people that didn't get you know we're not super excited about decorating our homes as much as the other aspects of the game so that that could also influence these opinions probably worth just mentioning Hmm. because you know if we if we were big on the like home decorating aspects and we loved happy home designer this is basically that but free to play so perhaps that lines up with some people's interests more hard to say
1: makes sense
0: yeah but i'm excited to see where it goes because i think there's hope i really do um it's just a matter of if they if their long-term plan fleshes it out fire emblem style because if so they're golden or pokemon style um now i guess unless there's anything else you have about pocket camp To cause a little whiplash here, we're going to go from um, Fuzzy Cute World of Animal Crossing to the blood-soaked, literal hellscapes of Doom on Switch. Uh, I've been playing it, I'm really enjoying it, and immediately what we're talking about here is a port of a year-old game that has already won multiple awards and everyone knows is good and it's well-known, so I'm not sure how much there is to say about the ins and outs of the game itself, but essentially... Just give you a little backstory oh, for those who haven't played it. it. Yeah, I like it. But essentially, um, if you've never played the New Doom, you wake up on what you soon learn is a facility on Mars where scientists were experimenting with opening a portal to, portal to hell. Um, and then all hell breaks loose, ha ha ha, and kills them. And now you are tasked with stopping the demons using the special suit called the uh, Praetor suit. And you go through the game getting upgrades, abilities, new guns, all that. And I think probably the best way to describe Doom, as someone who has not played this Doom ever, the best way to describe it, at least from my perspective, is it's kind of like going from a, it's kind of like a super intense, super action heavy version of Metroid Prime. Like it, it shares a similar feeling of isolation as you're now, you're exploring this unfamiliar space station, essentially. I mean, it's on Mars, but you know, it's very Metroid-y in that regard. It's kind of a similar HUD where you're with like looking through the helmet concept, which they play with a lot. Um, it even lets you pick up additional plot details by interacting with the environment and then browsing a log, almost identical to Metroid but where it differs from Metroid is of course like I said, it's all action all the time, this is very action yeah, heavy
1: sounds like the tones are very different
0: it, tonally it's different but the idea of like isolation and just like oh, know, yeah. just one dude but yeah, so like it, it, I can't even begin to say how action heavy it is like seriously, you can't go more than a couple minutes before you're thrown into that rhythm of shoot, grab slam, shoot, rinse, repeat, over and over and the thing about Doom is that even by like shooter standards it's pretty straightforward it's pretty basic the unique thing they have is this glory kill system where if you you know if you shoot a demon of course you can shoot them to death but if you shoot them just right they glow you can run up click the right stick and you perform a very gratifying like just the right amount of overly violent finishing move on them like snapping their neck or ripping their jaw off or ripping their arm off or whatever you want to do And then there's also a rage mode you can trigger at times where you just go full fisticuffs and just, like, plow down people with, like, one-hit punches, and it's very gratifying. But, yeah, like, I'm not gonna lie, the whole thing is very gratifying. I You feel kind of badass when you get into the rhythm of, like, gun, you know, like, run-gun, punch-shoot, whatever. And if, you know, if you have, like, a row of demons, and you manage to glory kill one right after another, after another, after another... Um, there's, like, this visceral intensity to it because, you know, the HD Rumble's rumbling and you're clicking that stick really hard. It just... It just it's really fun. And the HD Rumble's actually great in the game. It, um... They make it different if you're, like, opening a door versus, say, glory-killing someone. That actually makes those kills feel that much more satisfying because it's just that extra oomph. But, uh, yeah, gameplay, what, what, gameplay-wise, gameplay that's... That's really all there is to it, actually. I mean, there's, a course of course, a growing story. Um, you... You, you know, you kind of learn over the course of the game that there's like these shady scientists who want the demons in order to like further mankind as a species. And there's this whole variety of weapons you get throughout the game. You can choose how you want to kill your demons. Um, but ultimately, what makes Doom so fun is it just knows I'm a game where you're going to shoot a bunch of stuff and then it goes all in on that idea. Like, whatever level of gamer you are, it caters to. you. I, I really like the fact that there's um, difficulty levels that you can change on the fly. So if you're a, like the hardest of the hardcore. You can go play a super hard mode and go shoot some stuff. But if you're not that great at things, <clears throat> me, you can just you know put on a lower setting and still have a challenge. It's still it's not easy. It's just less and shoot some stuff. Like the games are like, hey, just come shoot stuff with me. It doesn't matter how. Just you'll have a good time. There'll there'll be some blood. We'll make some references to hell. It. It'll be it'll be fun. So yeah, it's like basically the developers at id were just like. They're just out to make a game where rapid fire carnage can happen, and they proceeded to absolutely nail it. So gameplay wise, it's great. The big question about the Switch version that I think a lot of people have is how well does it actually hold up? And uh, you know, this was a game that started on PS4, started on Xbox One, and was then downgraded to work on Switch. And I'm happy to say that the guys at Panic Button who did the port did a really, really good job. Like I've I've played both in handheld mode and on my TV. Very few complaints. Um, I think the biggest, actually, is that in handheld mode, the font for menus and various text boxes is so tiny that it's actually kind of hard to see. I mean, that's also true on the TV. It's relatively small. HD games seem to... Third-party HD games seem to have that a lot, small text. I don't know why. But, uh, but you know, it just makes it that much harder on the handheld screen of the Switch. But on the flip side, I know that some people felt that uh, if things are blown up on the TV, like, the graphics would look more, uh, worse than on the handheld mode. I didn't find that to be particularly bothersome. I mean, sure, if you get right up against some stuff, the textures kind of become a bit blurred, But someone who didn't play the original next gen version, it didn't like jump out at me like, this is not good. I was like, okay, this is totally acceptable. Like, it was not, I could see someone downgrading, finding, like, having a little issue with it, but I thought it was totally fine. And, like, it's not bad enough to ruin the experience at all. It's just sort of something that's more noticeable, maybe, to some people than others. The same goes with the frame rate. A lot of people, like the original game ran, ran at 60 frames per second, and a lot of people said that was important for, like, the, that feel of, like, the rapid fire, like, getting in the vibe of it with the visceral rhythm and all that. It's, I mean, I'm playing at 30 frames. Again, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I'm coming into it at Switch first, so I don't have a point in comparison, like I said, with the graphics, but it feels fine. It feel it flows fine. Like, it's, it's, there's no real issue. It doesn't hinder the game in any way. The only thing that I did notice is that time to time the frame rate does drop, uh, to, not ideal levels uh when there's a lot going on on the screen so like if you're fighting a bunch of demons and they're lobbing fireballs and you blew up a barrel or you gun down a bunch of them at once and you have your little bullets flying everywhere the game will occasionally chug for a few seconds but it's brief it hasn't been detrimental to my progress it just you know it's any heavy resource using game will do that so yeah that's pretty much doom um i haven't actually tried multiplayer yet so i can't really talk about that but that's a whole separate nine gig download if you get the physical version, like I did. But at least from a single player perspective, it's really fun if you like to just go shoot things and feel like a badass doing it. And it comes with the perk of letting you now literally do it anywhere in thanks to the switch. So, I mean, honestly, if you like first person shooters whatsoever and you own a switch, this should be a no brainer. Like I, I am very happy with the purchase. It's a really good game. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Have you? Do you even play first person shooters? I feel like you don't really.
1: I do. I play plenty.
0: Like what? I can't even think of any that I've seen you play. Really? Yeah, and you have yet to name one when I asked <laughs> you. <laughs> You're um, still not naming any. Go. I know. Okay, Golden Eye on Wii. I know you played that.
1: No, I've played stuff more recently. Just can't think of any right now. Killzone? No, no, I didn't play Killzone. Mm,
0: well, I, I could mm. let you off the hook and talk about my other game while you think about it, because there's another game I've been playing that's also awesome,
1: It was. I can't think
0: of the last one I played. I guess Resident Evil Seven. VR. I mean, it's still a shooter, sort of. It's just a much slower pace. Oh, we'll come back to that. <laughs> uh, well, if you want a shooter on Switch so you can remember a shooter you've actually played, I recommend Doom. throwing it out there. Now, for anyone listening that may prefer a uh, strictly 2D space to shoot in, there's another Switch game I've been playing that I've been a fun time with, uh, Rive Ultra, uh, Ultra Ultimate Edition, uh, which is the final game, actually, from long-time long uh, Switch not Switch, Nintendo developers, um, Two Tribes. So they're, they're an independent company, but they've been working There's a lot on song, Nintendo for so a long time. What? So it's their Swan yeah, song? Yeah, it's kind of their Swan song. And what's interesting about Rive is it's essentially a twin stick shooter, but has this added element of gravity. So basically, they took the twitchiness of like a classic twin stick shooter or Shump and they applied it to a 2D platforming game. So you still need to have rapid fire Reflex and learn enemy patterns and all that, but in Rive, The patterns now go on to include actual level interactions. So you'll be on a platform, you need to jump over waves of lava while you're doing it. Or maybe there are these dodge these fast moving trains you have to dodge. Or maybe like you have to use those same trains as platforms as you're shooting wave after wave of enemy. You have to also navigate up through moving very fast moving train platforms. It's all like kind of at once. So it's Bioshock. Bioshock. There you go. Okay. There's a shooter. Portal
1: and the Half-Life series.
0: It's like, it's like the ride block just lifted off you. You got all. the for dead. Well, there we go. And evolve. Okay. Point 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 made. You'll probably like Doom. <laughs> is my point. <laughs> no, I mean I know I would. Yeah. It's, I just
1: haven't gone around to getting it.
0: Right. It's it's fun, but but yeah, Rive. Um. Yeah. So, so sort a of twin stick style, um, shooter, and like it literally does feel like a twin stick, style shooter because even though it's a platform, you control it like a twin stick shooter. Left stick is movement. Right stick is firing. The difference is of course that since you're platforming you also need a jump button which they mapped weirdly to ZL which honestly feels a little awkward as a jump button not a big fan, I'd love to see them customize that down the line and let you move it somewhere else but beyond that, you know, the controls work fine. As a traditional you know, jump control scheme um, it feels how you expect it to and it does take a number of of cues from platformers in terms of how the gameplay plays out which kind of adds on top of it. So for example Instead of just flying over temporary power-ups and getting them instantly like you do in a typical side-scoring shooter, in Rive, you actually have to go up and scan enemy robots by pressing R under them in the level. And as that's happening while you're maybe dodging enemies or whatever, you then get to temporarily take them over and you get an extra ability. So that's kind of the, the platforming spin on a typical shump power-up system. Likewise, there are moments where um, you can do a full 360 uh, twin stick here, but you have to jump into these special giant like anti-gravity bubbles... And because it's a platformer, you know, if you fly out the bubble, you're back on the level. Like it's just like an obstacle in a platformer, opposed to this whole like other mode or something. So, the whole thing kind of is reminiscent of Blaster Master, I guess. Like it kind of has that same idea of like you have a tank and you're, you know, aiming while moving and all that. But the the game um, ultimately is kind of as simple as, Bla- as Blaster Master in that you're just going through platforming stages, point A to B facing multiple waves of enemies, but because it's a shump, basically, it's actually quite hard. Like, it's really about memorizing the enemy patterns, trying over and over and over until you nail it. You have the, you know, the level obstacles also part of that memorization. And, like, just to give you an idea of how hard this can get, I died 160 times in my first 90 minutes of playing. So, so so that happened. I mean, I could be horrible at it, but well, it could very well be fo- a factor for you, too. It's- I mean,
1: based on the photos, it definitely looks like you can know open- Gaming chops to yeah,
0: and, and the game's very generous with checkpoints, So it's not like it's frustrating because you rarely feel, feel like you have to report, uh, repeat too much or really any of the gameplay if you're stuck on a particularly difficult part. It just puts you right back there. Um, but even with the, the gameplay being difficult, you're also kind of simple. There's still a lot to do in the game. I mean, you have the main campaign mode. There are daily challenges that rotate in and out to achieve. There are 48 special achievements to unlock. There's a speed run mode, a one-hit-and-game-over game over single credit mode, leaderboards for literally every single mode and mission. So everything in the game is leaderboarded. Um, and new to the Switch version is a co-op co-pilot mode so you and a friend can play basically the entire game from start to finish any mode together. It just splits who shoots and who aims with between two Joy-Cons. If I, I believe that's how it works. So like, it's all wrapped up in this very nice presentation too which which is actually one of the things I really like about it. Like two Tribes has always done a really nice job. Like Toki Tori has a really cool vibe to it like a really cool feel to it and so is this so that's very yeah, different
1: Tokyo 1 especially Togatory 2 that game definitely I don't know it just took that whole like mini puzzle room concept of Togatory 1 and just threw it on its head
0: yeah that's like, kind of what Rai feels like because it's like it ultimately it's a shump but they're like hey what if we like changed everything that you expect a shump to be and then run with it
1: yeah 2 Tribe definitely
0: does a good job with that also Shump is so fun to say <laughs> I've never actually heard people say it out loud I just see it written on the internet but I like saying it out loud because it's just very fun yeah I've only ever heard you say it and you definitely do say it a lot Shump 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 I could call it twin, t- twin stick shooter but Shump's more fun but uh, yeah it it they did a really good job with the presentation here I mean the game runs 60 frames per second 1080p on your TV 30 frames uh, 720p on handheld but both work great Um, and that's with by the way like a lot of stuff happening they have, like particle heavy explosions lots of enemies on screen bullets flying trains whizzing by whatever it's it never in my experience lagged or slowed down at all and it's very pretty too like even if you're just blowing up robots it looks it looks very nice doing it and when they blow up by the way another game that uses hd rumble really well in fact the whole game not just the explosions is really good like um there are cut scenes where uh your main character is typing on a computer and there's like these little tiny clicky clack shakes from the controller and then when bullets shoot, they, you know, it's a little short burst, but then when explosions happen, it's really an oomph. Like, they, it, they did a good job. I also kind of enjoyed the uh, the self-awareness of the game. Like, it, took, I feel like Toki Tori sort of did this through visual gags, but this this game knows it's a game. <laughs> like, you're, you're playing as a pilot of this tank ship thing, and the whole time he's getting this kind of Duke Nukem-style color commentary. Uh, it's more bad puns than it is vulgarity. And not every joke lands, but there's a fair number of meta comments uh, like him making references to microtransactions and endless runners or exclaiming things like, this feels like an obscure Japanese space shooter, which at first is kind of like, uh, this is a little, I don't know, but the more you play and the more he rambles, the more he, it grows on you. Like, I actually kind of like it now. And also even just when you die, all the all the game over messages are references to other games. Like they have the classic, like, snake, snake, and like a bunch of other stuff. So it's, it's really well done overall. So basically what I'm saying is like, Rive is worth checking out. If you've been a fan of Two Tribes in particular, give them, you know, give them a little love for their swan song here. And it is going to be a challenge, but it's a fun one. has good production value. It's only 15 bucks. So yeah, I'd, I'd say it's worth checking out at that price. It's it's a fun little, little crazy game that will make you tear your hair out, but enjoy doing it. So, yeah. So cool. Yeah. I'd probably check it out. Yeah, it's good. And I know while I've been playing Rive and Doom and all that, you have been playing a very different type of shooting game also from a British indie team, Worms WMD by uh, Team 17, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I thought it was just Team 7. No, I think it's 17. Oh, you right, it is 17.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. how is it? I know you're a big Worms guy, so.
1: Um, I don't know, I really like it. It's, I would say, yeah, it, it met all my expectations. I love Worms, so this game, I mean, I don't know, it's hard to say that it's better than the other ones, but it's just, it's basically the same. All they did um, was just add their new mechanic, which is where the WMD comes in. It's just giant mechs and weapons. You could go into tanks, you could go into suits, and attack others. The, whereas the previous game, which used three um, D graphics, um, yeah, this one's back to two D. Right? Yeah, it had um, like water physics, which were pretty fun and different. But this one goes back. Yeah, it goes back to a two D style, which I mean doesn't affect the gameplay of anything. It makes the backgrounds look really nice, mm. just because the last ones everything was rendered. It had kind of a, I don't know. It wasn't the most appealing looking 2D sure. visuals. I, I mean, I do they, remember Worms. 3D they being they kind got of... they, they got the job done, but 2D is definitely where it shines. But I mean, for those that haven't played Worms, or maybe just when heard of the word, heard of the game Worms. Or um... I
0: heard of them as a form of animal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, because I, I remember before I started playing Worms, I just knew of their existence like as a computer mm-hmm. game but I never knew what kind of game it was and yeah. even so like it's a it's just a turn based strategy game basically where you're just shooting projectiles at each other you could think of it like um there's a popular game I don't know what it's called on mobile or maybe you played it on computers where the game starts with two tanks on opposite sides of the screen and every time you're just adjusting your aim firing and you miss like by a few degrees so you Next go around, you try to lower your aim a little bit adjust for wind speed. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all this game is. Every turn, your worm takes a shot at another worm, whether it's with a grenade or with a bazooka or a shotgun or whatever weapon. And then you fire your weapon, and then your turn is up, then it's their turn. And during that time, you can move. You can use like jetpacks to move around. You can use what they call ninja rope. But the thing about movement and attacking is that there's definitely, I would say hard learning curve because i would say most of the people including myself when we first played it found ourselves dying to our own hands oh really in fact um the last time i played worms wmd like this past week we were playing with a friend we were playing with a bunch of friends that have played the game before and Mm -hmm. one friend had never played worms before and sure enough every single turn he pretty much spent his time just damaging himself and killing himself he ended up So it's more,
0: it's more of the general worms problem not specifically WMD like if you played before well, I,
1: mean, I, w- I wouldn't really call it a, a worm's problem it's just yeah a I worm's mean, obstacle yeah it's, it's a worm's obstacle it's yeah. a little wall because people the moment you yeah people don't realize that the moment you take damage your movement stops and that means that if you're jumping around and you're not careful what you're jumping because your jumping has a set distance and height mm-hmm. every single time mm-hmm um, if you accidentally overshoot a ledge or you fall off something that you don't think would hurt you and you get hurt, then that, there goes your turn. Or um, if you want to fire your weapon you have to, typically you have to hold down the fire button so that you can start charging your weapon like the bazooka. If you stop moving and you have the bazooka equipped you'll automatically have your reticle out and pressing up and down will move your reticle up or down and charging it gives you the distance and most people will just tap A because they think it will bring out the bazooka, but right. all that does is just fire it instantly and right. it just like knocks them off to the pool.
0: I think like I definitely and did that's that. My pretty early much worms days.
1: how it goes for a lot of people. And honestly, I would say that this sometimes the best part, like, it's just really fun just watching people kill themselves, and that's usually where like a lot of the biggest laughs come from. But when it's, but when you're playing with a lot of veterans, like, it's definitely really intense. Just figuring out the best positioning, trying to memorize, like, all right. This worm, I'm going to go after them because their worm doesn't get to go until after my other worm goes because mm-hmm. it goes... It, it zigzags back and forth between you and your opponent. Right. So, depending on where you move your worms the how you strategize, you could attack worms that will be completely defenseless because they will never even have a chance to retaliate. And this game also has online against random people. It has ranked matches. You can play against... How's online?
0: Princes. I saw some people on Twitter saying that like it's kind of hard to play with friends, but...
1: Uh, it's just that... Worms in general, it just has a ton of options.
0: Oh, that it's okay. just like,
1: yeah, you they don't really have like a like a friends only mode. You have to sign into them, but then other people can join the game, so you have to keep kicking people out. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean they they tweeted out that they're working on it. Oh, okay. But yeah, they've they've That's fully good. they fully acknowledged it. But other than that, I, I don't know. I think it's great. And what I like about this game in particular is that uh, they introduced something called crafting. So in between rounds, you could, like, create new weapons. You could create, like, new sub-weapons. That actually sounds you? really
0: interesting. Yeah, they... Kind reminds me of a little. It's just
1: a whole another layer to it. And I just like that also, like, everything is fully customizable. Whenever you're at, your worm dies, they create, like, a little tombstone. So you could put whatever right. tombstone you wanted. You, the more you play, the more you unlock. You could unlock costumes. You could change the voice of the worms. You could literally create your own team of worms and name every single worm. Individually, so that you know, like, oh, this is my team. Oh right, right. Like I have a team of worms called the gang, which is just our close friends and every single. Am week... I a
0: worm? Yeah, you're one of them. Am I one of the ones you kill off? Well, I mean, they... like, accidentally shoots itself type of situation.
1: Well, no, I wouldn't shoot myself in the leg like that.
0: Good. That means I live on.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a fun game. If you like, if you have a group of people that are that enjoy longer games because right. these matches could definitely last a long time. You could set a timer to make it last 20 minutes or less and after that timer is up, the water just starts rising until everyone's dead. Mm-hmm. But if you, I don't know, I prefer to play with infinite time that way everyone really does die on your hands or by your hand or yeah, by, by your hand. hand.
0: It's such a perfect fit for Switch. Oh yeah. Like definitely. the idea of just like, because like Worms is, from what I remember from playing Worms back in the day, it's basically like 2D bazooka armed
1: chess yeah <laughs> so to be to able to just it.
0: bust that out anywhere like you could literally go to a park where there's chess tables and then i think that you,
1: you definitely want to play with either the grip the split or the pro controller basically you want to
0: use no single joy-con
1: no don't use a single joy-con well, it does work the, with it what's but the flaw? um it's easier to zoom in and out with the Pro Controller or mm. with something that has two analog sticks. Gotcha. And also, you could control the camera so you could pan around with the other analog stick. Which but is if very you have, critical.
0: But if you have a single Joy-Con, you can't do that. Wait, not at all? You can't like to hold a button and do it or hold two buttons and do it? It's, that seems like it, a huge it, it, you, you, disadvantage.
1: You, you kind of can but it's not very intuitive. Oh, uh, okay. Like, you have to kind of do a weird combination. Gotcha. And it's the same deal with like throwing grenades. If you throw a grenade, you could set a delay on it by like one second, three seconds, or five seconds. Mm-hmm. And... That is also pretty important to be able to do easily. So, pro controller or... So, ironically,
0: even though it's perfect to take the Switch to like a park and play next to a chess table, you also need to bring controllers with you. Get no, you to don't. You it. only
1: need one. Because, oh, you can alternate, right. Yeah, you could literally yeah. just pass the controller around because yeah. it's a turn-based one. Then that's not
0: so bad at all. Yep. That sounds fun, though. Like, Worms has always been... I'm not very good at it, but I have enjoyed it. Yeah. I feel like this episode is me just saying I suck at games that's all I've done this episode I'm really happy this
1: game finally <laughs> came to the Switch because I've been waiting for a Worms right. game for a while
0: and like I mean for Worms it's been around so long it used to be physical releases that cost standard MSRP this one on the eShop's 30 bucks so it's actually cheaper than what a typical Worms game used to go for yeah, I but mean, it sounds I mean, I mean, more cam- fully featured
1: I mean there's even a campaign there's extra challenge missions there's, there's right. plenty of things to do there
0: so we're checking out sounds Definitely. like yeah. literally everything we talked about after Animal Crossing was just people shooting each other did you notice that people uh yes learn. all three of it, okay yeah create things shooting each other yeah just like once we're like oh man animal crossing's like it's too linear we can't do what we want we can't catch the bugs we want or build the town we want let's just go shoot things so yeah but it sounds like um sounds like those are three switch games we're checking out if you need something to play the next couple weeks uh, before we go we have to announce our contest winner so anyone that listened to last episode or has been following us on Twitter, at Nintendo knows that we are giving away quite the prize package that comes with three games courtesy of USAopoly. Thank you for that, guys. Um, you can get Mario Super Mario Level Up, Super Mario Power Up Card Game, and Clued Legend of Zelda Edition. Plus, we're giving away a $20 eShop gift card on top of that, and all four of those are going to one person. And we asked you guys two weeks ago in our last episode to tell us what games you like to play with family during the holidays because that's probably where board games are going to be busted out that's probably where switch we busted out and that's the time of year it is so you know it makes sense and we actually got a lot of good responses there's like just kind of i did like a little inventory and of course there's some mario karts there are a couple monopolies both physical and digital including um the new uh, monopoly gamer edition which is kind of cool I see someone already playing that Bomberman, multiple jackbox uh party packs a couple nintendo land shout outs didn't expect that but it's cool that people are still playing it Uh, You're not alone, because I know Angel, you... What was it? like Right before the Switch came out, I think we were talking about how Nintendo Land was... like. We revisited it.
1: I still play it recently. Yeah, there you go.
0: So you're not alone. Um, Surprisingly, only a single Smash Bros. shout-out. We got two Yahtzee mentions, which is equal to the number of times Yahtzee was name-dropped at the Game Awards, for everyone that's really keeping score. Uh, A Zelda mention, which is interesting, like, playing as a collective. Um, And even one guy named Chad said that he plays what he calls avoiding 99% of the smug jerks, which I think is what everyone tries to do during the holidays. But... We can only pick one person, and since we can't exactly judge people's traditions, as that would be weird and rude and judgmental of us, by definition of judging, um, we instead are just going to pick a random name, or a random number, random comment number. So we pulled a comment number out of a hat before we record. The random winner is Mike Mont. He named off a few games, including Super Bomberman and Monopoly Deal, which is actually I think like this card-based version of Monopoly. It's like a fast Monopoly. I'm kind of curious to try it, but... Yeah, I didn't even know it was a thing until he named it, and then I was googling it for a show. I'm like, oh, that that sounds kind of cool. So anyway, Mike, Mike Mont, you uh, are a winner. You should be expecting an email in the next coming days after this episode goes up, or we'll contact you. To everyone else, thank you so much for entering. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen and to comment and do all that stuff. And we will have more stuff in the future. So to make sure you don't miss future contests, again, follow us at Ram Nintendo on Twitter and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play Music and TuneIn and every single app you can think of because we're on all of them, and that's how you know when we're doing free giveaways. And you won't want to miss next episode because not only will we have news and impressions as you'd expect, uh, we're also going to do something I never thought I'd say, which is taste test a Mario cereal. So <laughs> that's the thing that's happening. We, uh, we managed to go this whole episode without acknowledging the fact that there is now cereal boxes out in the world that have amiibo capabilities and you can scan them into your game and the game calls them delicious and then gives you free things so we will try it out for ourselves next episode live on the recording um plus whatever news and stuff and that's gonna be hitting on december 24th which is christmas eve because quite frankly why would you spend time with family when you can listen to us ramble for two hours so we'll we'll see you then and uh in the meantime i think the message of this episode is go shoot some stuff like in video games not in real life in video games
1: Bye.